Welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 236th episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. Jonathan is the all-time most frequent guest of the Rob Burgess Show. For a complete list of episodes he's appeared on, check the show notes. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over a decade, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And now on to the show. Yeah, I've mostly been uh, using Zoom these last couple of years, and uh, I feel like Skype really dropped the ball during the pandemic. They let Zoom get ahead of them. Huh. Okay, so what's what's the disadvantage of Zoom nowadays, you said? that There's a 40-minute limit or something? Unless you pay for it, yeah. Okay. All right, well... I did, yeah, I didn't remember that actually, but okay. Yeah, yeah, that's well. Like a lot of things in life, I never pay for it, so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so we've we've watched it's debate season again. Third third time around, child. This is the third election cycle we've 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 done this for. I think. That that alone earns a round of applause. That was, you know, we, we've chronicled American history once again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To the degree that it's important what anybody on the stage says this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took a lot of notes uh, too, so I got I got a lot to say. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh. Well, here, hold on, crack, crack open a Mountain Dew here, trying to wake up. The 20, 2024 Republican primary first debate held by Fox News, right? Yeah. Now, yeah, I, I wrote down a lot of questions here at the end that I think we could kind of talk about a little bit that I think are, you know, salient. Um, so who was in this debate? Who didn't qualify? Who qualified but didn't attend? Mm. Um, does this debate matter? Um, mm. And I guess, as far as the direction or concerns of the Republican Party, uh, I think that that matters more from like a historical perspective for, as about what's going on in the country and where, where the Republican Party is at. Probably more than the hopes and aspirations of the these kind of hopeless politicians that are that are running it um also who 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 do we think is really running to be president who is actually just running for vice president and you know have these people learned anything from 2016 you know these are i think these are all questions that are kind of yeah need to be asked as we watch this this thing totally well, I was just looking over the list of uh, declared candidates, and there are several that are not seen even on this stage of eight. So yeah. why don't we? Well, let's name the eight first, and then we'll talk about the ones who didn't make it or didn't come. So we had Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, DeSanctimonious. Uh, we have the entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, mm. former President Mike Pence from. A fellow who's your boy, <laughs> regrettably. Um, <laughs> or, 
former South Carolina governor, Nikki Haley. And I think was she was she the secretary of state for for Trump for a couple of years there or something? She was uh, Nikki Haley was the ambassador to the United Nations from 2017 to 2018. She was the governor of South Carolina from 2011 to 2017. And she was a state representative in South Carolina from 2005 to 2011. Okay, so yeah, so she was the ambassador to the UN. Okay, so that's what I was thinking with her foreign policy stuff. Um, then we had former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, Ar- former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, or as Trump calls him, Ada. I was going to ask you about that. What was that? What do you mean by that? I don't get it. Like, what's the. <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, like. Ada could be a woman's name, couldn't it? I don't know. It's, you know, <laughs> Trump loves these, uh, these, you know, inscrutable nicknames. <laughs> so it's, that was, a, that was a funny moment, certainly in the. In Even the, said a little thing like, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. President, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Why aren't you at the Fox News debate tonight in Milwaukee? Well, you know, a lot of people have been asking me that. And many people said you shouldn't do them. But you see the polls have come out and I'm leading by 50 and 60 points. And, you know, some of them are at one and zero and uh, two. And I'm saying, do I sit there for an hour or two hours, whatever it's going to be, and uh, get harassed by people that shouldn't even be running for president? Should I be doing that? Uh, And a network that isn't particularly friendly to me. Frankly, you know, they uh, they were back in Ron DeSanctimonious like crazy, and now they've given up on him. I mean, he's it's a lost cause. It reminded me very much of 2016. You know, in 2016, I went through the same stuff and had to fight them all the way, and then they became very friendly after I won, or just about when I was winning. But I just felt it would be uh, more appropriate not to do the debate. I don't think it's uh, right to do it. Uh, if you're leading by 50, 60, I have one poll, I'm leading by 70 points, and I'm saying, why am I doing it? And I'm going to have eight people, 10 people, whoever made the debate, I don't know how many it is, but I'm going to have all these people screaming at me, shouting questions at me, all of which I love answering, I love doing, but it doesn't make sense to do them. So uh, I've taken a pass, as you probably noticed. I I did. (laughs) I'm grateful that you did. Um, It's interesting, though, because you spent a lot of your career in television. Yeah. You would a top show in television on NBC, um, but you don't feel the need now running for president to do television. Obviously, do you think television is declining? Well, according to a poll that I guess we just saw, it just came out where it's down like 30, 35 percent. But I think they were talking referring to cable. I think cable's down because it's lost credibility. MSNBC, or as they say, MSDNC, is so bad. It's so wrong what they write and what they do and what they say. It's you know it's fake news, as I said. I think I came up with that term. I hope I did because it's a good one. It's not tough enough anymore. It's corrupt news. You know, really what you do is call it corrupt news, but somehow that doesn't play as nicely. But uh, it is corrupt news. So you have uh, MSNBC and you have CNN, who's absolutely doing no ratings at all. I mean, they're dead. But they're doing none because they don't have credibility. They really don't have credibility. Fox is way down, as you know. And uh, the good old days are are long ago. I will say this. Uh, it could come back, but they have they just don't have a lot of credibility. Tucker, you know that perhaps better than anybody. I think it was a terrible move getting rid of you. You were number one on television, and all of a sudden you're we're doing this interview, but we'll get bigger ratings using this crazy forum that you're using than probably 
probably the debate or competition. Who, when, you, when you say there are people on stage who shouldn't be running for president, who do you mean? Well, I don't want to really use names, but it wouldn't matter too much. A guy like, uh, I call him Ada Hutchinson. It's Asa, but I call him Ada. Uh, Why do you I call him Ada? Know, I, you know, I could tell you, but I don't want to get myself in a little trouble. <laughs> but he's weak and pathetic, and he was, uh, I never understood the guy. I never knew him. He was the governor of Arkansas. I did not a very popular guy. I don't know how he, but that state is such a great state. The people are so incredible yes. in that state, and they love me and I love them. How does this guy get elected governor of Arkansas? But he's nasty always and uh, has been. Uh, a guy like Chris Christie, a guy left with a 8%, think of it, 8% approval rating in New Jersey. Now he's running for president, and he runs solely on the basis, oh, let's get Trump. Let's. He's like a savage uh, uh, maniac. He's like a lunatic. And that's all he talks about. His poll numbers are very, very low. He's about 2%. What's he like? You know him well. No, I've, had, I've been friendly with him over the years, but I couldn't give him a, a job because I just never trusted him very much. Uh, I was just never one of his people that really trusted him. I never gave him the job. And that's one of the reasons he feels so hurt and so betrayed. And I understand that. I really do. I understand it. But I never gave him. You know, he wanted to be different things. He was looking at different uh, elements of the administration and we decided uh, I decided just I didn't want to I didn't want to do it and now I'm glad I did because you see but you know we had some some great people I had great people we'll have even better people if we do this because now I know Washington before I didn't know Washington but guys like Bill Barr were terrible I mean they were I would say bushies uh, I say that with respect to the Bush family but they were bushies and uh, just it doesn't work out for us. We it was clear. This is kind of far afield, but it was just interesting. I read Barr's account of his time. He wrote a book about it. Right. Uh, his autobiography. And in it, he lies about Jeffrey Epstein's death. Clearly lies. Uh, do, you, do you think Epstein killed himself sincerely? I don't know. I, I will say that, you know, he was a fixture in Palm Beach. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what Barr said about it either. I have no idea what he said. What did he say? He killed himself, probably? He said he killed himself and that they were going to do this investigation. They never did the investigation. It's never been public. And they hid it. And like, why are they doing that? And clearly Barr knew. But why would Bill Barr be covering up the death of Jeffrey Epstein? Uh, Bill Barr didn't do an investigation on the election fraud either. Okay, He said he did and he pretended he did, but he didn't. Uh, uh, McSwain, the U.S. attorney in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, uh, said Barr, Barr just wouldn't let him do it. It was crazy. Barr became so petrified, so frightened of being impeached. They were going to impeach him. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah. It's not a big moment in history. But they said, we're going to impeach. You know, they play a much rougher game, the left, the lunatics. And they were going to impeach Bill Barr. And he was petrified. Now, how do you not get impeached? Don't do any of this stuff. But he didn't do the job there. Uh, I don't know what he did with Epstein, but possibly he did Do didn't you think do it's that. possible that Epstein was killed? Oh, sure, his... it's possible. I, I mean, I don't really believe I think he probably uh, committed suicide. He had a life with, you know, beautiful homes and beautiful everything. And he, uh, all of a sudden, he's incarcerated and not doing very well. I would say that he did. But there are those people. There are many people. I think you're one of them, right? But a lot of people think that he... Uh, he was killed. He knew a lot on a lot of people. He was killed. You I think, think so? I think the more the closer you look, I'm not a conspiracy person at all. I believe everything I hear. Uh, but yeah, the the closer you look into it, I mean, the Attorney General of the United States, your Attorney General, yeah. clearly lied about the Epstein 
death. Yeah, and he was. Why? He was uh, certainly it wasn't well done. They had no cameras. They had no anything. Everybody was sleeping, and you know, there the a case could be made. Look, I'm not going to get involved in it, but I can tell you, a case could be made either way. But uh, it certainly wasn't the most well-run place. So, so the reason I'm asking you is I'm looking at the trajectory since 2015 when you got into politics, yeah. you know, for real, and then won. Uh, there, it started with protests against you, massive protests, right. organized protests by the left, and then it moved to impeachment twice, right. and now indictment. I mean, the next stage is, is violence. Is, are you worried that they're going to try and kill you? Why wouldn't they try and kill you, honestly? Uh, they're savage animals. They are people that are sick, really sick. You have great people in the Democrat Party. You have great people that are Democrats. Most yeah. of the people in our country are fantastic, and I'm representing everybody. I'm not just Republicans or conservatives. Right. I represent everybody. I'm the president of everybody. But I've seen what they do. I've seen the lengths that they go to. When they make up the Russia, 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 when that's exposed and they go down and Barr should have gone after them and other people should have gone after. And they did very late because the Durham report came out. It was fairly good. It could have been a lot tougher, I guess, but it was fairly good. But it explained how corrupt it was. Yeah, our scowling boy, <laughs> Trump. <laughs> um, and then finally, there was uh, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, who hmm. I knew nothing about going into this debate. And I basically still know pretty little about just that he's a small town like person. I don't know. Yeah, it was it was weird that he thinks that he has some national, you know, that he's going to get anywhere on the national stage, like with his uh, background or whatever. Yeah. And of course, uh, Donald Trump qualified to attend this debate, certainly, but he declined to take part in this debate, which. I mean, yeah, it's probably it's probably a boss move by Trump. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing going forward. If if every candidate going forward decides that they don't have to attend the debates, then that's probably not great for democracy. But Trump has rarely been accused of doing what's good for democracy. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was probably a smart move on his part as far as it goes uh, not to attend. I don't see what he had to gain from that. He's so far ahead in the polls. And I think I saw him say something on like True Social that was like, uh, I just see them debate on who wants to be my vice president. <laughs> I mean, it's not totally wrong. I mean, although, you know, I, I think a great question for for the that, that was not asked by Fox, but could have been asked, would have been, you know, if if it is not you, if it is Donald Trump or something or somebody else who's here <laughs> to be the president, would you accept being the vice president? Because mm. I'd love to see, you know. Uh, I think Asa Hutchinson and um, and uh, Chris Christie have both been pretty critical of Trump. Mm. So I'm here and, you know, uh, obviously Chris Christie, one of the jobs with Trump and everything and worked with Trump before. But so I wonder if, you know, would he strongly stand on his his commitment not to work for Trump or would he say, well, I'm sure he wouldn't say it, but I, I think it'd be very interesting if, if Trump offered him something, would he accept it? Mm. Yeah, is he just a disgruntled job applicant? Because, I mean, I do remember him trying to get in the Trump administration initially, so he hasn't always been so skeptical. So, Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, that's kind of one of the annoying things about this. Uh, and I, it is, I, I think that is something that, that Trump did kind of point out was that a lot of these people, they'll say anything or they'll say you're a terrible person during the debates and everything, and they'll go against you. But at the end of the day, they want to work with whatever the Republican, they, they want to be close to power. Almost everybody does. So, yeah. yeah. So I think that would have been an interesting debate. Like who here would serve as vice president or would anybody say, no, you know, I'm going for the top spot and I won't accept anything less. And it doesn't matter who offers or if, if Trump offers, I won't take it or whatever. Hmm. Um, yeah. I, I sometimes I wondered if Mike Pence was fighting for his job back, you know, if he just wants to be <laughs> vice president again. And this is the only way he knows how to do it. Or if he, you know, he can't really think that he has a chance here, I don't think. But um so you so you watched the um the, the trump tucker thing too yeah as did i although i watched it a couple of days ago and i didn't really take notes but there wasn't much there was, to take was, notes on but there was moments that i i took a few notes but yeah it was it was more a stream of consciousness of course because i mean like you said tucker completely lost control of the uh um the the plot here real quick and and just it went all over the place so but yeah, yeah i got some some notes i did write down ada not asia hutchinson um tucker brings up epstein early um just uh like i told you on the message there just trump just word salad from a disordered mind it's just he's the free free flowing poetry of of the mind <laughs> like yeah going I, for it yeah, I thought he was I thought he was better spoken than he has been in some cases. Like, I, I think there's sometimes where he's very, like, very disordered, very crazy, very. And he's a little bit like that this time. But he's definitely like making reasonably coherent sentences that flow somewhat naturally and stuff. And I mean, he's it, which is surprising because I think he would be under more pressure these days due to yeah. the uh, due to the legal woes he, he's got himself into. But um, and of course, he recorded that, I guess, about a week before. He was arrested in Georgia, right? So, yeah. which just happened, I think, on Thursday or fr Thursday your time, Friday my time. Yes. So, um, yeah, uh, but but it was it was a weird interview. Like Tucker Carlson was bringing up like conspiracy theories and yeah. weird stuff like that. And yeah, he was like, "Oh, the left wants to kill you, Mr. President," over and over again. Like he's like, "What's left to do but kill you?" And like, <laughs> yeah. And, and any mentions like uh, that, you know, do you think Jeffrey Epstein was murdered or something? Mm -hmm. It's like, homie, you are talking to the number one, uh, one of the probably the top two or three uh, suspects if he was murdered. <laughs> like Donald yeah, Trump was sitting president. Time, and he was close with Epstein before he was president. So, of course, and, he's suspect number one. <laughs> yeah. And he, he had control of the levers of power at the time that the guy was killed. Yeah. Like, he's like, oh, Bill Barr and this and that. It's like, who was Bill Barr's boss, Tucker? Who do you think? <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, yeah, it's like it'd be like asking Putin. So what happened with uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin, right? Yeah, <laughs> do you right. think he was? Do you think it was a real, just like a normal, like airplane crash or something else? Mm -hmm. Do you think the Ukrainians did it? Yes, <laughs> exactly. So. Um, one other thing about the Trump Tucker interview I did want to mention was that once again Trump has so many plumbing-related complaints. 
Yeah, the the lack of water pressure and the in the, the water and the regulator and the, the toilets now now it's the sinks. Yeah, it was first the toilets, it was the sinks and the sh- the showers. He was like, and, and your beautiful hair and. <laughs> yeah, it is really it is really a boomer hour with him or something. I don't know. <laughs> He's got some. Yeah. Complaints that seem to be out. I don't know. I guess everything's political, but it seems to be outside the permit, or the remit of politics or whatever. So, <laughs> one of the things I did with EPA is, uh, you have states, many, many states, most of the states have so much water. You know, it comes out of heaven, right? The water pours down, and you have it. it it's there. It's gonna go wherever it goes into the oceans, whatever. It's not like a big problem. Now, in some states, they have a problem. You know, you have some desert areas and all, and for that, it's okay. But they have uh, sinks where no water comes out. You turn it on, no water comes out. No water comes out of the shower. No water is allowed to go into the washing machine for your dishes or for your clothing. or what. And I avoided all of that. Wait, they have sinks where no water comes sure, out? Sure, you have restrictors. When I say no water, very little water, you want to wash your hands, right? Yeah. And you t- you've seen this. And you turn on the sink and it's very little uh, or you want to wash your beautiful hair, right? And you're standing under a shower. Then the suds never go. The water comes out very slowly. I'm sure you've seen this. It usually takes place in new hotels and new homes. Yeah, you take a drill and take the they have limiter a res- out. Well, you can, but now they make it so you can't do that so easily. They have a restrictor. It's called a restrictor. And it restricts the water from coming out. So I ended all of that. And you have to see these. They, they let the water come out. You know what people do? They wash their hands like five times longer or in the washing machine. They'll press for their, let's say, the uh, dishwasher. They'll press it. Then they'll press it about seven or eight times. Yeah. They'll end up using more water and it still won't be very good. I met with the head of Whirlpool. They were practically going out of business during my administration. And they said to me from Ohio, incredible, great state. I love Ohio. And they were really doing badly because people were dumping washing machines all over, mostly from South Korea, but also from China. And he was explaining it's uh, just a terrible situation. I said, let me ask you, how's the quality? He says, we're better, but they are good enough quality. But, you know, of course, he's going to say that. But, you know, they are better. He said, but they don't they don't allow us. They're dumping these machines. They're cutting us in half. They're killing us. And on top of it, the government won't, us, won't let us use water in our machines. I mean, he shows me like a quarter of a bottle of water. That's supposed to be washing clothing. And I freed it all up, and I put tariffs on these countries that were selling and the machines coming into the country. And that company went from a big, the big all the washing machine companies, they make washing machines, they make dryers, they make all of the different machines that do this kind of work, including dishwashers. And they went from a disaster area to being just thriving. But they, can I ask They why, love me in that part of Ohio. Well, I, I bet they do. But why should EPA, no one at EPA was elected by anybody. Yeah. Why do they have the power to decide how much water your washing machine uses? Shouldn't Congress in a democracy get to vote on that? Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. That, but it was so funny when he when he was complaining in the past about the toilets not flushing, <laughs> and then we found out that he was trying to flush all these secret flush documents the or something, or he was trying to flush papers down the toilet. So... It's like, yeah, it's not going to flush if you're trying to flush entire pieces of paper. Exactly. So, yeah. 
well, so yeah, so Trump did his thing. These guys did their thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So where did, how did you want to start off here, I guess? Uh, well, I did want to say that there were other there's other declared candidates that did not make the stage. Um, just okay. uh, sh- quick shout outs to uh, Ryan Binkley, the co-founder and CEO of Generational Equity Group. Uh, we've got Larry Elder, who was the candidate for governor in the 2021 recall election, if you'll remember, against Gavin Newsom that failed. Uh, he's also the host of the Larry Elder show on the radio. Uh, Will Hurd, U.S. representative from Texas. Uh, Perry Johnson, businessman and disqualified candidate for governor of Michigan in 2022. Uh, Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami. Oh, Oh, yeah. Francis Suarez. Was he the one that they had on on CNN or something? And they asked him about the Uyghurs and he said, what's a Uyghur? Yeah, it must have been. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and even maybe it wasn't CNN. Maybe it was even Fox. And they said, you're kidding, right? Like, you've got to know what a Uyghur is. And he's like, OK, well, I'll, I'll do my homework on that or something <laughs> like. Will you be talking about the Uyghurs in your campaign? What, the what? The Uyghurs. What's a Uyghur? Okay, we'll come back to that. Uh, let me, you won't be. You got to get smart on that. How in the world do these people think they're qualified? Like, yeah, I'm a, we are normal people, mm-hmm. and like we know what the we know what the hell's going on in the world a little bit more than these people who think that they are qualified to be the president of the United States when they don't know, like you know, very pretty, pretty, you know, a little bit higher than basic, but some basic, basic stuff that's going on in the world, right? Like, I mean, right? I don't know. It's I, you know, it, I would be, it's, what, what was the case a couple of years ago where the guy said, uh, you know, a, what's an Aleppo or something or something like that? Mm-hmm. Was that a couple, uh, I forget who said that. I forget when he said that, but he was like, he didn't know what was going on in Syria or something or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's just bizarre when these people don't know what's going on in the world, but uh, Gary Johnson, seriously. Okay. Gary Johnson. Yeah. What would you do if you were elected about Aleppo? About Aleppo. And what is Aleppo? You're kidding. No. Aleppo is in Syria. It's the uh, it's the epicenter of the refugee crisis. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay. Well, with regard to Syria, um, I do think that it's a mess. So... Yeah, so so these people did not qualify, and I'm sure some of them are a little bit angry about that. But and uh, you had to get like so many one dollar donations from so many people in so many states, and and other, and some of these fringe ones, like I think Doug Burgum and some of the others were like offering like incentives, and it's like you can get yeah. tickets to see was, Lionel Messi if you like <laughs> contribute a dollar, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure. If, I'm sure if you're Messi, you're like you know keep my name out of your mouth, but. <laughs> <laughs> But wasn't there one of them who was offering, like, if you donate one dollar to my campaign, then I will give you twenty dollars back. Right. So, yeah, I mean, how is this legal? How is this not like electioneering or something like I mean, like he's basically buying not votes per se, but like people to, you know, on on a national stage. I mean, on an supposedly democratic process. Yeah, it's. It's absurd. I mean, like in these people, you know, the, one of the big things, again, from 2016 was there were too many, too many Republicans staying in their primary for too long that allowed Trump to take it in the first place. And now they've got these a, a bunch of opportunistic, you know, no name brand, no national platform having people just trying to, like, you know, 
beg, buy, and steal their way onto the onto the platform here and stuff. It's ridiculous. My gosh, child, remember? Uh, I think during 2016 when they had two different sets of debate stages just for the Republican candidates because there were so many of them. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like an undercard. There was an undercard debate and an overcard debate, and it was like Rick Santorum is like fighting for his life against like <laughs> whoever. <laughs> yeah, the the kids table. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think I think this is the kids table again because Trump mm-hmm. wasn't there basically, so it's just mm-hmm. like these are all a bunch of like you know these are all the people who are you know it's 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 a it's true what Trump said. You might include the audio here or something he said like you know why would I go to the debate. I'm I'm beating these people by like 30, 40, 50 percent, and mm-hmm. they're just gonna be sitting there taking pot shots at me. Like, why would I? Why would I go for that? And aside from the fact that you know, ostensibly the American people deserve to know what your policies versus their policies are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's no reason personally for him to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well. So, so some people didn't make it. Some people did. We had eight members on the stage here. Uh, who are the Martha McCollum and Brett Bayer were our uh, hosts, I believe. Fox News mainstays. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. There were times where like they were both they were kind of countermanding each other. Right. Like one person would say, no, no, your time is up. Or, and the other one would be like, no, no, 30 more seconds or something. <laughs> you got to move on to the next one. Or, uh, okay, you you go ahead and finish your answer or something. So they were kind of like countermandering each other at at certain times during the debate. Well, and, I, and I think the candidates, as per usual, use that as an excuse to run all over them. Because unless you're a strict taskmaster with these people, they'll just walk all over you. So you got to. I think Nikki Haley even complained at one point that they were losing control of the of the narrative or whatever. Huh. Yeah. Well, it's you know, you've got eight, eight candidates who have presumably done their debate training and they've got their, you know, the people training them how to talk on TV who say, OK, I want you to get this in there. And so there were definitely some times where like people were giving their their stump speeches that were totally unrelated to the question, but they'd like they'd they'd give two words on the question and then they'd switch to some other topic or something. There was one pretty egregious case where I where I marked it, I think. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were all over the place, certainly. And there were a couple times, I think at one point Mike Pence ran way over his time limit and a couple of other people did that too. Mike Pence came out swinging. I mean, I know we'll talk about it later, but that's the most lively I've seen Mike Pence and quite some time so yeah yeah he was mostly he he looked like an automaton for the entire trump administration up until the very moment where he had to like you know not overturn the election and he like showed the very least bit of backbone which i they go we'll talk about this later but they did go over that in the debate too that whole uh the moment when he Mm -hmm. mike pence has the courage to (laughs) Yeah, did he do the right thing or the wrong yeah. thing? And, people- mm-hmm. and I hope Mike is going to do the right thing. I hope so. I hope so. Because if Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. All he has to do, all in, this is, this is from the number one or certainly one of the top constitutional lawyers in our country. He has the absolute right to do it. We're supposed to protect our country support our country, support our Constitution, and protect our Constitution. States 
want to revote. The states got defrauded. They were given false information. They voted on it. Now they want to recertify. They want it back. All Vice President Pence has to do is send it back to the states to recertify. And we become president, and you are the happiest people. And I actually, I just spoke to Mike. I said, Mike, that doesn't take courage. What takes courage is to do nothing. That takes courage. And then we're stuck with a president who lost the election by a lot, and we have to live with that for four more years. We're just not going to let that happen. Many of you have traveled from all across the nation to be here, and I want to thank you for the extraordinary love. That's what it is. There's never been a movement like this, ever, ever, for the extraordinary love for this amazing country. And Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. And if he doesn't, that will be a, a sad day for our country, because you're sworn to uphold our Constitution. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. And it was very funny sometimes because some of the people were obviously very like grudgingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, he did the right <laughs> thing. But now I want to talk about something else, you know, and it's like and um, and then I think Chris Christie and he both uh, and then they the. Well, we'll get to that point. Actually, yeah, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But yeah, I just wanted to note that he came out swinging harder than I had seen him, I guess, in the past. I was surprised anyway. So. Mm -hmm. OK, so, well, let's see. So they start off here. They start. I guess we could start off. They they start off with. Uh, hmm. Let's see. They talked about Bidenomics, right? They They said that the. The Bidenomics and they had a quote from Biden about, well, the secret is that the Bidenomics is working or something. And mm. then they had a quote from three on the street interviews. We don't know who these people are. We don't know <laughs> right. what the other questions were. We don't know if you'd ask them, do you hate them? Do you I hate know. Joe Biden? Would they say they hate Joe Biden or they're just complaining about the economy generally? But they're like, um, you know, they've got, I think, two black guys and one white person or something <laughs> to complain about. Oh, the inflation's killing us out here. Oh, you know, the, you know, mortgage rates at seven, eight percent versus two or three. You can't even buy a house anymore. It's like the likely Democrat nominee, President Joe Biden, is working to convince the country that with Bidenomics, things are looking up. They call my plan Bidenomics. I'm not sure they meant it in a totally complimentary way at the time. <laughs> but guess what? It's working. But. Is it? More than 65% of Americans say the country is headed in the wrong direction. And here's the reality for some voters we talked to here in Wisconsin this week. We have noticed a dramatic increase in prices at the grocery store just across the board. Gas is high and food is high. It's a lot of people out here homeless because they can't buy food. It's tough when you got mortgage rates at 78% versus two to three. It's just you can't afford a house anymore. It's inflation is, is ridiculous. It's killing us out here. As we sit here tonight, the number one song on the Billboard chart is called Rich Men North of Richmond. It is by a singer from Farmville, Virginia, named Oliver Anthony. His lyrics speak of alienation, of deep frustration 
with the state of government and of this country. Washington, D.C. is about 100 miles north of Richmond. You know, one constant in America or anywhere, really, is that you can any day of the week, any day of the month, any day of the year, you can find somebody to complain, somebody for whom the economy currently is not working. Right. Like it doesn't matter who the president is. You can always find somebody where life sucks, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you know, they lost their job, da, 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 you know, whatever the situation is. It doesn't matter, you know, going back to Clinton, going back to Bush, going back to Obama, you can always find somebody somewhere in the country and and, and probably millions of people for whom things are not going very well at that moment. You could you could put them on camera and they will complain about it. But yeah. Do you want to talk about the uh, uh, song? Yeah, yeah. They, they they also mentioned the song pretty early on here, too. I'm trying to see where they if they mentioned people that later. And everyone knows what song we're talking about, but just for the people in the future that are listening that are blowing the dust off an MP3 player in 30 years from now in the rubble of humanity, they're listening to what, this. Explain what, what, what song are we talking about? What song are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, who, who's the soldier boy? Yeah. What was going on with that? Yeah, Taylor Swift? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're talking about what? Richmond North of Richmond by some guy I've never heard of before. Oliver Anthony, previously unknown musician from Farmville, Virginia. Mm. So anyway, I uh, I I hate this song and I uh, I don't begrudge this guy personally because I, I don't you know I'm sure he's just a normal person that this blew up or whatever. But like I just I find it funny how whenever people play clips of this song and it's always clips, it's never the whole thing. They very conspicuously skip over a major theme of this song, which is blaming poor people for being poor and like, oh, why does this person get food stamps and I don't? And uh, okay, so here's uh, here's okay. So the part that they always play, or at least play during the intro to this debate is uh, okay I'm, I'm i'm trying to end the dollar okay it's near the, the near they go to near the end they cut all the way to the end so because your dollar ain't shit and it's taxed to no end because of richmond north of richmond uh i've been selling my soul working all day overtime hours for bullshit pay so that's the part that they play they don't play the part earlier in the song where he says uh, well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't nothing, ain't got nothing to eat, and the obese milk and welfare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shut up. Come on. This is not, you know, this is not Woody Guthrie here, people. This is the typical con- small-minded conservative thinking about oh, I'm going to blame the other people that are just doing slightly worse than me for exploiting the system and not like looking like one level above and see who's exploiting all of you at the same time and like totally missing the point. And like they want to act like this is a profound statement and it's and it's really not. And I'm I'm sick of hearing about this song. Anyway, that's my own thing. But then, of course, Fox News uses that because it's like the number one conservative song in the country. And everybody's like it's a rallying cry. Just probably replace that that equally stupid Jason Aldean song, the try that in a small town. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, now. I'm worried because I, I haven't really listened to either song all the way through, but I. Was it Jason Aldean's song, or was it this one where they're talking about the government taking your guns away or something? They've been trying. That was like the Jason Aldean song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like oh, <laughs> you know, 
they, I think, I think the wording in that song was something like, they say they're gonna come take my guns away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me you're in a right wing bubble without telling me you're in a right wing (laughs) bubble. Like, no Democrat has ever said we're gonna come and take your guns away. That's just that. That's what the Republicans say. The Democrats say. And yeah. they haven't done it. Like even when Amer- when Democrats have had a, a trifecta, you know, the the mm-hmm. executive, legislative, you know, the House, Senate yes. and the uh, the Congress or whatever, uh, like they have never actually come to take your guns away. It's just such yeah. a like a, I know. you know, it's bizarre. It's ridiculous yes. that these people are singing like this. I mean, like yes. it's so, you know, obviously wrong to anybody who's thinking. But yeah. Yes, this is exactly so and and you know before just you know a, a few hours ago we found that the what is it the Jason Aldean guy um, had posted on X, uh, <laughs> not Twitter anymore. And no. uh, I do think like I actually think and I'm I was going to make a post about this, but I think like we do need to stop calling it Twitter, right? Because some people are like, oh, you know, you know, fuck you, Elon Musk. It's still Twitter to me. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter. You can't make me change it to X. And I'm like, no, 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 call it X. This guy is throwing away tons of brand recognition that that has accrued over the years to Twitter. And now he's made a really stupid decision. But if you continue to call it Twitter every time, then he doesn't actually suffer the consequences of losing that name recognition because everyone's like, yeah, yeah, it's X, but it's really Twitter. It's like, no, call it what he wants to call it and, you know, and have all the you know, resultant confusion about that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think that actually would be better for us. So. I see. I see your point. It is still Twitter.com to go to sign in, though. So the URL yeah. doesn't change. But um, going back to the Jason Aldean thing, I have the lyrics in front of me here. So um, early in the song, he says, "Cups, cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag and light it up." Yeah, you think you tough? We'll try that in a small town. Uh, so, oh no, wait here. Uh, oh, got that? Got a gun that my granddad gave me. They say one day they're gonna round up. Well, that shit might fly in the city. Good luck. So, um, <laughs> I I, uh, I I I find it funny how again that uh, <laughs> Jason Aldean uh, says early in the song that we should respect the police, and then he says that if you come take his gun, he's going to shoot you. But I assume that the people, if this actually were to happen, not that anyone's saying it would, but let's say it does, who is coming to take your gun? Probably the police, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so are you going to shoot the police that yeah, you seal, so seal team six? Maybe, maybe <laughs> well, you're going to shoot them now. I thought we supported the troops around here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all, you know, inherently inconsistent. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. Also, so he's then, not from a small town. I am. Yeah. I was about to reply to somebody. There was some, some woman was like, uh, she was commenting on something under the song on on Facebook or somewhere, and she was like, "Oh my God, this this song really, you know, I really want to live in a small town. I'm so sick of living in my. I live in this big uh, metropolis in California or something." Mm. I jokingly commented, "I was like, uh, you know, hey, I've got 60 acres in a small town, 5,000 people, just outside of town." I know what I got. Take it or leave it. We trade now. <laughs> you know, I'll I'll take whatever the hell you've got in a, a large metropolitan area of, of Southern California. You sure. you take my, you know, you go out there to Indiana. You live out there. You don't really want it. <laughs> it's no, like absolutely. it's absurd. <laughs> so you know, there's yeah. If these people really want to give up their positions in major cities, there's uh, millions of people in the heartland who would probably gladly trade them. You know what they've got. So. 
Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So they they start off this story with a song, right? Mm. They want to, I guess, you know, tie this song to the the idea. Of, well, obviously, I mean, North of Richmond has implications regarding the Civil War. Yes. Exactly. Another reason I don't like that song. <laughs> yeah. The um, yeah. So there. What I one thing that I'd written about this is because they they say Richmond, North of Richmond, and they're talking about Washington D.C. I suppose, and they're they're talking about yes. you know yes. the American government versus the the old seat of the Confederacy. I believe, right? Yes. That's I mean that's Virginia. that's the implication, right? I mean that's the only reason to mention it. Yeah, but I was wondering. I was saying like I, I had written this down before I'd seen that Jason Aldean had actually responded criticizing the Republican debate for using a song or whatever. And I said, I wonder what the medium net worth of the people on the stage is right now. Because right. by his definition, these are all going to be rich men. Mm. You know? So they can they can gesticulate like they're oh we're they're the men of the people or whatever. But like the reality is, all of these people are much much richer than most Americans. They're they're rich. They're politically savvy to one degree or another. Yes. And they seek power. I mean, like these, yes. you know. It's very ironic that they're all being asked to like comment about how much they love this song and everything, and how they agree with it, and how the song is so right. Like when they are obviously some of the people it's talking about, to the degree that it's not just only talking about Democrats. And then you know, you know like, he posted that video though that was like, oh, it was talking about them too. This is bigger than Joe Biden. It's like the one thing that has bothered me is seeing people wrap politics up into this. Uh, I'm disappointed to see, like, it's aggravating seeing people on conservative news try to identify with me like I'm one of them. It's aggravating seeing certain musicians and politicians act like we're buddies and, and act like we're fighting the same struggle here, like that we're trying to present the same message. Uh, you know, I've I've had a lot of people reach out to me, and I've tried to be polite to everybody, and um, I've talked to hundreds of people the last two weeks. But it seems like certain people want to just ride the attention of this song to maybe make them their own selves relevant, and that's aggravating as hell. The other thing that I find aggravating is, uh, well, you know, like, it was funny seeing my song in the, it was, fun, it was funny seeing it at the presidential debate. Because it's like, I wrote that song about those people, you know? So for them to have to sit there and listen to that, uh, that cracks me up. <laughs> uh, but it was funny kind of seeing the response to it. Like, that song has nothing to do with Joe Biden, you know? It's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. Um, that song is written about the people on, the, on that stage. And a lot more, too. Not just them, but, but definitely them. It's cool seeing some of my other music come out because people are, I guess, starting to appreciate and understand what it is I'm really trying to say. It's hard to get a message out about about your political ideology or your belief about the world in three minutes and some change. Um, but I hate, I do hate to see that song being weaponized. Like I see, I see the right trying to characterize me as one of their own, and I see the left trying to um, trying to discredit me. I guess in retaliation. Uh, that shit's got to stop. If you watch the response videos on YouTube to this song, 
it's not conservative people responding to the song. It's not even necessarily Americans responding to the song. Um, I don't know that I've seen anything get such positive response from such a diverse group of people. And I think that terrifies the people that I sing about in that song. And they've done everything they can the last two weeks to make me look like a fool, to spin my words, to try to stick me in a political bucket. And they can keep trying, <laughs> but I'm just going to keep on writing. And I've got a lot of words to put down on paper, and I've got, I've got a lot of songs to put to chords, and um, I don't know what my music career is going to look like. I don't know how many shows I'm going to do and how many tours I'm going to put on, but I am going to stay true to my word. I'm I'm going to write I'm going to write, produce and distribute authentic music that represents people and not politics. I do feel compelled to address something um, since I have addressed the conservatives. I do need to address the left as well because they're sending a message out that 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 initial song that sort of shot me up the radar, Richmond North of Richmond, is is an attack against the poor. If you listen to my other music, it's obvious that all of my songs that reference class defend the poor. Uh, Dog on it's a good example of that. Needles in the street, folks hardly surviving on sidewalks next to highways full of cars self-driving. The poor keep hurting and the rich keep thriving. It's like that's what I like to sing about. And, you know, the English language is interpretive, and so I do understand, like, there may be some people who who misunderstood my words in Richmond, North of Richmond. But I've got to be clear that my message, like with any of my songs, it references the inefficiencies of the government because of the politicians within it that are engulfed in bribes and extortion. And, you know, the words say that there's people on the street with nothing to eat in the obese milk and welfare. That references a news article I read earlier this summer that adolescent kids in Richmond are missing meals over the summer because their parents can't afford to feed them and they're not in school to eat cafeteria lunch. And meanwhile, I think like 30 or 40 percent of the food bought with welfare or EBT money is... Um, is in a classification of like snack food and soda. I think 10% spent on soda, and I want to say like 20 or 30% spent on junk food. And that's not the fault of those people. Uh, welfare only makes up a, a small percentage of our budget. You know, we can we can fuel a proxy war in a foreign land, but we can't take care of our own. That's all the song's trying to say. It's just saying that the government takes people who are needy dependent and makes them needy independent. And at some point I will dissect all my lyrics of all my songs if that's what I need to do. I mean, 30 some million people understood what I was saying, but it only takes a few to try to uh, derail the train, you know, to try to send out false narratives. And I'm sure there'll be more of that to come. You're not, this is, you, you're trying to play the middle, and I get it, because you're like, you want to appeal to, to the most people, but let's get real. You're like, you're a conservative country dude, and you don't like actually 
blame the people you need to blame and you're just trying to say this to like you know, I appreciate that he's not like going all in on on the like. I'm, I appreciate that he's maybe not going like Kyle Rittenhouse or whatever. So yeah, lean yeah, into it's, it. It's, but like, still, it's like, come on, dude. We know what's going on. You're you're one of these people that says you're centrist, like Ken Bone or whatever. You know, you're like the I'm the undecided voter. You know, I just I'm an independent. But it's like, really, no, you're not. You're you're secretly conservative. You just don't want to say that because you don't want the blowback. You know. So. Yeah, yeah, we 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 read your lyrics. We know what yeah, you exactly. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's uh, he's 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 equivocating. He's 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 waffling. So, oh well, whatever. <laughs> anyway, back to the debate. So, yeah, yeah. Um, well, they start talking about the economy and everything, and I'm I I have to confess I didn't take too many notes. I don't know. Did you have anything about the economy? Um, not really, just that they kind of used the opening just to introduce themselves. And, uh, you know, the Vivek, you know, I'm just going to call him Vivek. Uh, he uh, used the Obama line. The hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him, too. Um, yeah, about the guy with the funny name and, and Chris Christie immediately hit on him for that. And. Uh, you know, I, I feel like Chris Christie hit, hit, on him. hit, hit him. Sorry. I didn't mean to say <laughs> <Okay>. it. <laughs> Slip of the tongue. No, he like, yeah. he like, he like, pounced on him, I guess I should say, uh, immediately. <laughs> like he like was ready to go to, to scrap with him. Like you saw him <laughs> as his person he needed to like take down, I guess immediately. Yeah. Listening to all of this, why should voters choose you? over more experienced politicians on this stage. Uh, you're basically you know, a blank slate for people. You're 38 years old. Uh, you've said that you only voted in two presidential elections before this moment, this political race. So first, let me just address a question that is on everybody's mind at home tonight. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name and what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? I'll tell you, I'm not a politician, Brett. You're right about that. I'm an entrepreneur. My parents came to this country with no money 40 years ago. I have gone on to found multi-billion dollar companies. I did it while marrying my wife, Apoorva, raising our two sons, following our faith in God. That is the American dream. And I am genuinely worried that that American dream will not exist for our two sons and their generation unless we do something about it. And I do think Brett is going to take an outsider because for a long time we have professional politicians in the Republican Party who have been running from something. Now is our moment to start running to something, to our vision of what it means to be an American today. If you have a broken car, you don't turn over the keys to the people who broke it again. You hand it over to a new generation to actually fix the problem. That's why I'm in this race and we're just getting warmed up. All right, Chief Governor Haley. So why are you better positioned to turn around this economy that we've heard all of these voters talking about tonight than Mr. Ramaswamy, who is a successful entrepreneur nationally right now? He's beating you in the polls. Well, I don't care about polls. What I care about the fact is that no one is telling the American people the truth. The truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. Our Republicans did this to us, too. When they passed that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill, 
They left us with 90 million people on Medicaid, 42 million people on food stamps. No one has told you how to fix it. I'll tell you how to fix it. They need to stop the spending. They need to stop the borrowing. They need to eliminate the earmarks that the Republicans brought back in. And they need to make sure they understand these are taxpayer dollars. It's not their dollars. And while they're all saying this, you have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. And so at the end of the day, you look at the 2024 budget, Republicans asked for $7.4 billion in earmarks. Democrats asked for $2.8 billion. So you tell me who are the big spenders. I think it's time for an accountant in the White House. Vice President Pence. You were mentioned there. Um, 54% of voters say the cost of groceries is a, quote, major problem for them. Right. You blame the Biden administration spending for that increase. But as vice president, your administration spent more than any prior, $7.8 trillion added to the national debt, $3.5 trillion of that before COVID. So does that mean that you're part of the spending problem? Well, first off, thanks for the question. Thanks for letting me respond to a re reference to our re administration's record. I'm incredibly proud of the record of the Trump-Pence administration. I mean, in four short years, we rebuilt our military. We revived our economy. We unleashed American energy. And we appointed three conservatives to the Supreme Court that gave the American people a new beginning for the right to life. Now, Martha, you asked earlier who's the most best prepared for this job. And I must tell you, with all due respect to all of my friends on the stage, and even to one that's probably looking on. I think unquestionably, I am the best prepared, the most tested, the most qualified and proven conservative in this race. I was a leader in the Congress of the United States. I led Indiana where we balanced budgets and had a AAA bond rating when I was governor. And as vice president of the United States, we spent funding to, to backfill on the, the the military cuts of the Obama administration, and then we were there in the worst pandemic uh, in 100 years. All that being said, I was the first person in this race to say that we've got to deal with the long-term national debt issues. You've got people on this stage that won't even talk about issues like Social Security and Medicare. I mean, Vivek, you recently said, uh, a president can't do everything. Well, I got news for you, Vivek. I've been in the hallway. I've been in the West Wing. A president of the United States has to confront every crisis facing America. I will put our nation back on the path to growth and prosperity and restore fiscal responsibility, just as I did in Congress and as governor Mr. Vice president. and when I was vice president. But, yeah, I mean, we've yeah. well, You were named earlier. I'm going to get Vivek first. We'll get to both. Yeah, this isn't that complicated, guys. Unlock American energy. Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear. Put people back to work by no longer paying them more to stay at home. Reform the U.S. Fed, stabilize the U.S. dollar, and go to war. The only war that I will declare as U.S. president will be the war on the federal administrative state that is the source of those toxic regulations acting like a wet blanket on the economy. So I'm not sure I exactly understood Mike Pence's comment, but I'll let you all parse that out. For me, it's pretty simple. That's something a U.S. president can do with focus, and I'll deliver on well, it. Well, let me explain it to you. Let me explain it to you, if I can. I'll go slower this time. I, you know, I, I sometimes struggle with the reading comprehension. Look, I was, uh, I was a House conservative leader before it was cool. 
I actually pushed a deficit reduction act that was the last time we actually reduced the national debt in the United States when I was the leader of House conservatives. I balanced budgets and cut taxes when I was governor. I mean, look, Joe Biden has weakened this country at home and abroad. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. We need to bring when you have a rebuttal, okay? And, and you are up, Governor DeSantis. So here's the thing. Why are we in this mess? Part of it and a major reason is because how this federal government handed COVID-19 by locking down this economy. It was a mistake. It should have never happened. And in Florida, we led the country out of lockdown. We kept our state free and open. And I can tell you this, as your president, I will never let the deep state bureaucrats lock you down. You don't take somebody like Fauci and coddle him. You bring Fauci in, you sit him down, and you say, Anthony, you are fired. I just want to respond to Mike for one second because he invoked me back. Listen, now that everybody's gotten their memorized, pre-prepared slogans out of the way, we can actually have a real discussion now. The, the, the reality and the fact of the matter is... Is that one of yours? Uh, not, not really, Mike, actually. We're just going to have some fun tonight. And the reality is, you have a bunch of people, professional politicians, super PAC puppets, following slogans handed over to them by their 400-page super PACs last week. The real choice we face in this primary is this. Do you want a super PAC puppet, or do you want a patriot who speaks the truth? Do you want incremental reform, which is what you're hearing about, or do you want revolution? Okay. And I stand on the side of the American the Revolution. We're going to take control back here. We need everyone Remember? to have a moment on the economy. Yeah. I think that's fair. Can I the uh, there are two people who have not. We're going to no. get back to that. We are. Uh, there are two people who we have not heard from yet. So let's hear from Governor Burgum and then from Governor Hutchinson on the economy, sir. Well, great. Thank you, Martha. And of course, uh, I'm from a town of 300 people. It's a big deal to make it on this stage with all these folks. Uh, but. But when they were, they were all wishing me well, uh, and I think I took them a little too literally when they said, go to Milwaukee and break a leg. So, <laughs> but I do want to say uh, uh, on this, we're missing something. We can't just talk about the Biden economy because the economy, energy, and national security are all tied together. We, of course, we're paying too much for our energy in our, in our state, right, in our country right now. But part of the reason why is because of the Biden policies on energy. We've got a plan right now, the $1.2 trillion of Green New Deal spending buried in the Inflation Creation Act is something that is just subsidizing China. We're, if we're going to stop buying oil from the Middle East and start buying batteries from China, we're just trading OPEC for Sinopec. And then belatedly, belatedly, the, the Biden administration says, no, we're going to put sanctions on Russian oil. Well, we put sanctions on Russian oil. Well, then it's 20% off. Who's buying it? China. So if you buy a battery in this country, you buy a solar panel, it's being produced in a, power, in a plant in China powered by coal, or it's being powered by oil and gas at 20% off. And every farmer in this country would like to buy diesel at 20% off, just like they're buying it in China. Governor Hutchison, quickly. Thank you, Brad. Delighted to be here tonight. And let me just tell you that I'm a pro-life governor from a conservative state that have a conservative record in which I lowered taxes in Arkansas as governor. I created a $2 billion surplus that I passed over to my successor. And 
I made sure that we shrunk the size of government. We have 14% fewer state employees in Arkansas after I left government than when I took over as governor eight years ago. I tell that because that's what we need in Washington, D.C. We need somebody who can actually constrain the growth of the federal government, that can actually reduce the size, and I've pledged to reduce by 10% our federal non-defense workforce. That's a specific pledge to make that attacks the administrative state. And let me applaud some of the business partners that are here that have had success in business. But let me tell you, I've been a federal prosecutor. I've served our country in terms of being head of the DEA, in homeland security, in times of crisis. And while I think that that's experience that is important for the future of our country to be the president of the United States that can lead with positive solutions to be held accountable. Um, I, I think, yeah, it's, it does seem like Vivek Ramaswamy or whatever is um, is going to, is, he's going to be, I, here's my thing. I think he's going to be another, you know, another one of these flash in the pan minorities, brown men in the Republican Party who have a have a meteoric rise up the, the things and then crash immediately afterwards. Right. Like, so he seems like he's stealing uh, Ron DeSantis's thunder here. Mm -hmm. A little bit, you know, he's he's definitely kind of the up and coming while Ron DeSantis is falling. But it's just like but he's this goofy dude. He's he's definitely kind of like he's like one of these kind of happy warriors, like uh, like, a you know, not to be racist, but he's kind of like Bobby Jindal or something. He's like, you know, I'm you know, interested in writing. Yeah, he's he's like this. He's this ethnic minority brown man in the Republican Party uh, who's got a really cheerful, like positive affect and everything. But he's all over the place, you know, on his policies and stuff like he's like, you know, he's very conservative or whatever. He's pretending to be very conservative. And yet, like from what I can hear outside of this de debate is that he's only voted in like two elections in his life. He's 38 years old. He's almost our age, basically. Mm. And he's only voted in two elections in his life. So, like, what has he been doing the past 40 years of his or 38 years <laughs> of his life? Like, I mean, like. Well, I'll you know, tell you something he's been doing that I was terrified to learn is that I read this on his Wikipedia page. While he was in college, he performed Eminem covers and libertarian themed rap music under the stage name and alter ego Devec. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. That's that's pretty cringe, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I think I saw him do some Eminem rap thing somewhere, but yeah. Oh. Well, <laughs> Okay, so I think that in lieu of Trump being there, he obviously saw an opening to be the Trump stand-in, and I think is basically angling for a vice presidential nom, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's he's definitely increasing his national profile, whatever he's doing, just by being there. So that could be it. Or, um, but yeah, yeah, he definitely at one point he got really negative instead of being hopeful. So he's, he's kind of filling that role that Trump does sometimes. Um, yeah. Interesting character, kind of a st strange dude, definitely like attracted a lot of applause and a lot of booze at various times throughout the yes. uh, debate. Mm -hmm. He was attacking people left and right. He was a lightning rod for attacks from various people. And like Mike Pence increasingly got more yes. and more angry with him. Chris yes. Christie was definitely on his tail at times. And yes. like some other people also were attacking him too, I think. So I have yeah. uh, I have the words Vivek versus Pence written down several times in my notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
it's uh he's he i don't know what he thinks he's doing but it's it's yeah he was a interesting character on the stage i did think the best line of the night uh which okay chris christie i don't think should ever be president of the united states but i do appreciate that when I, when he's on these debate stages especially now and in 2016 remember what he did to marco rubio yeah, he like the Marco Rubio, you know. I think he's very not, good at that uh, assassinating a fellow also ran. You know, like that seems to be his lane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, the line that I liked from him was he called uh, Vivek a guy that sounds like Chat GPT. Um, that <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. And I'm like, okay. So I I I had to pause at that moment and go do a little research. I'm like. Now, wait a minute. This guy, you know, he's Indian American. Is he Christian? He probably is Christian. But I looked it up. Shouldn't it be gods? He's a Hindu. He's not a Christian. Really? I, I took I took that to mean that he was like a Christian. No. And I'm sure most Republican voters did. No, no. He's he's officially an, a Hindu. Interesting. So following our faith in God, one singular. Mm. He's a Hindu. He's a wow. uh, yeah. So disrespectful that's, to that's the other weird. Hindu gods. <laughs> I wonder yeah. which Hindu god he chooses choose out of all of them. Yeah, maybe Ganesh. <laughs> this is the most powerful one, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I am become death, destroyer of worlds. <laughs> right. Barbenheimer. I haven't seen so, um I, I saw Oppenheimer. How was it? Yeah, I thought it was overrated, but you know, <laughs> that may be another conversation for another day. Yeah, I, I <laughs> need, to, get I need the, to see it first. <clears throat> we, we don't we don't need the Nolan fanboys mobbing this this pod. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, I I mean it was good, but I I always have problems with uh with uh biopics. Usually, I I think it's a very you know as somebody who was a history major, I think it's a very cheap way to do history in film is to do a kind of a a biopic so well it's very uh formulaic um it follows certain rhythms always so yeah everybody else around the person is wrong that person is right you know they're a genius but maybe they're a little bit crazy too uh you know it's a thin line between genius and sanity uh yeah i don't know it's uh i, I have my issues with it and you know what is it, Jake Paul or Logan Paul? One of the Paul brothers is getting a lot of shit for having walked out of it and said he it was too much talking. I almost want to say, like, he's not wrong. Like, I mean, there's a lot of talking in this movie, and I can handle a talky movie, but the problem is I think that a lot of the characters never got established. Like, there's so many scientists, they just name drop. But they don't really have any scenes of their own. They're just, oh, this is, you know, this is so-and-so at the uh, the observatory or the, the university of this place. And he's a, he's a genius in his field. Oh, okay. We hired him. And then you never learn anything else about that character. And then, like, you know, there's just endless talking, endless talking about, mostly about communism and anti-communism and the McCarthyism. And the, uh, it's, you know, which is all interesting and stuff and could be a part of the movie, but... There's there's like literally only two female characters and uh, and uh, yeah, uh, Oppenheimer has sex with both of them. That's kind of you know, they're there for the sex and the politics a little bit. So <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a uh, you'll have to watch it. But I, I the the bomb section was really awesome when they dropped the bomb. That was really cool. Like that was you know epic. 
But then there's another like an hour after that where they're just in meetings, basically, and he's being accused of something and is I, I don't know. OK, that's OK. That's another that's another topic for another day. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so anyway, so, yeah, so um, Ramaswamy is a Hindu, but he's pretending it seems like in this debate that he's a Christian and a lot of voters who aren't going to know better are going to just assume when he says, you know, faith, following our faith in God, they're going to say, oh, OK, he's a Christian like me. OK, that, that's, so that's, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't make that connection either. So I didn't. Yeah, I just took that to mean that I, I shouldn't have assumed that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting detail. Um, I don't know if I'm well, <laughs> I don't know if. I'm the debate moderator. I'm like, I'm gonna say, no, wait a minute, Vivek. Aren't I mean, you're a you're a polytheist, aren't you? I mean, why do you <laughs> mention this one guy? Like, you know, I'm I'm probably gonna get dinged for racism or something. But it's like, it's that's a very fair question. Like, why are you pretending you're monotheistic and Christian when you're actually not? Like, I mean, that's that's right. weird. Let's see. There was an interesting thing with Nikki Haley a little bit below. She said, so that was an interesting moment there where she she correctly indicates that it's not just Democrats running up. You know, if anything, it's mostly Republicans running up these huge costs when they're in power and then complaining about the, the debt when they're out of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike Pence uh, avoids the question about Trump administration's record spending. Yeah. Well, I thought that's an interesting thing, because I do think that Mike Pence was running with Trump and because he was, you know, obviously has to answer for the record that he's running on. But mm-hmm. then he's also having to distance himself from Trump and run against him because he's obviously running against him and because of January 6th um, and the yeah. you know faction of the party that will never forgive him for that and or the faction of the party that gives him begrudging or actual credit, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's always kind of the the realm of the 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 uh, vice president running to succeed their their former boss is that they have to they have to not be ashamed of of their old boss but also like differentiate themselves from their old boss so that's an interesting one but he he kind of avoided the question he's like no you know that's an interesting question and i just want to talk about our record he doesn't want to talk about the economy or how much they spent he wants to talk about their record so yeah um and while he was responding he has a really long response yeah so he's really overshooting his time there quite a bit they go to vivek you know, he's he's doing the whole, you know, fuck mm-hmm. the environment thing. No, I, that is the first time I noticed that he had the knives out for him and <laughs> the other way around, too. So. Yeah. 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 And of course, Ramaswamy is lying. We're never going to have it in a debate like this. You never have a real conversation. Most of the time, it's it's all it's it's an hour and a half, two hours. It's however long it is of you know, pre pre prepared slogans and memorized lines. It's it it never ends, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. Then down below we get to Doug Burgum, and I wrote who because again, this is one of the guys on the stage that I don't really know much about. So now wait, he was he was the governor, is that right? Yes, of uh, North Dakota. Okay, so he's all right. So, but. He was a, he's, he's he's been the governor of North Dakota since 2016. He was senior vice president of Microsoft Business Solutions Group from 2002 to 2007, and before that, from 1984 to 2001, the president of Great Plains Software. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> they hadn't discovered Silicon Valley yet, huh? 
I guess not. But they were basing tech in the in the, the Great Plains. I guess. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He seems kind of like a nobody. I don't know. Yeah, this was an interesting one. I thought because it does seem like they asked everybody, "Do you believe in climate change?" And you know, it doesn't seem like I will say it doesn't seem like the question was inherently dismissive, which is basically what I would would expect for Fox News. Yeah. So yeah. More than a thousand people are still unaccounted for in Maui uh, after the deadliest U.S. wildfire in more than a century. Hawaii's governor and White House officials said that climate change amplified the cost of human error. And a tropical storm hit California for the first time in 84 years. The ocean hit 101 degrees off the coast of Florida. And in the last month, the heat wave in the southwest broke records nearly 50 years old. So Alexander Diaz from Young America's Foundation has a question for you all. Polls consistently show that young people's number one issue is climate change. How will you, as both president of the United States and leader of the Republican Party, calm their fears that the Republican Party doesn't care about climate change? So we want to start on this with a show of hands. Do you believe in human behavior is causing climate change? Raise your hand if you do. Well, look, we're not school children. Let's have the debate. I mean, I'm happy to take it to start. <laughs> Alexander, so do you want to raise your hand or not? I don't think that's the way to do. So let me just say to Alexander this. First of all, one of the reasons our country's decline is because of the way the corporate media treats Republicans versus Democrats. Biden was on the beach while those people were suffering. He was asked about it. He said, no comment. Are you kidding me? As somebody that's handled disasters in Florida, you got to be activated. You've got to be there. You've got to be present. You've got to be helping people Can we who are doing this. And here's the deal. So is that a yes? Or is that a yes? Is that a hand raise? You do not. I think it was a hand raise for him, and it's um, my hands are in my pockets. No, 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 I didn't raise, I didn't raise a hand. Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The climate change agenda is a hoax. And we have to declare independence for it. And the reality is, the anti-carbon agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. And so the reality is, more people are dying of bad climate change policies than they are of actual climate Governor, change. Governor Governor Haley, are you bought the down by hold on, hold on. In the last century. Listen, listen, listen. I've had enough. Let, wait, enough. Hold on, hold I've on. I've had enough. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. And the last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said What's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. Come on, give me a hug. <laughs> give me a hug just same, like you did to Obama. Same type of amateur. And, and you'll help elect me just the, like you did to Obama, too. Give me that The same hug, type of amateur. Got, hold on, hold on. Hey, Governor Haley, would you like to respond? Are you so bought Brett, and paid what for? what I would like to say is the fact that I think this is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. First of all, we do care about clean air, clean water. We want to see that taken care of. But there's a right way to do it. And the right way to do it is, first of all, yes, is climate change real? Yes, it is. But if you want to go and really change the environment, then we need to start telling China and India that they have to lower their emissions. 
That's where our problem is. And these green subsidies that Biden has put in, all he's done is help China because he doesn't understand all these electric vehicles that he's done, what that does. Half of the batteries for electric vehicles are made in China. And so that's not helping the environment. You're putting money in China's pocket, and Biden did that. So first of all, I think we need to acknowledge the truth, which is these subsidies are not working. We also need to take on the international world and say, okay, India and China, you've got to stop polluting, and that's when we'll start right. to deal with Senator Scott, China. are you bought and paid for? Absolutely. Are you bought and paid for? Sorry. Are you bought and paid Absolutely for? not. I mean, it, it, here's what the American people deserve is a debate about the issues that affect their lives. Going back and forth being childish is not helpful to the American people to decide on the next leader of our country. Number one, wait a second. Number two, as a kid who grew up in a single-parent household mired in poverty, I wondered, was the American dream real for kids who are devastated by poverty, devastated by the challenges of life. I came to the conclusion that America can do for anyone what she's done for me if we focus on restoring hope, creating opportunities, and protecting America. If we want the environment to be better, and we all do, the best thing to do is to bring our jobs home from China. If we create 10 million new jobs that might made in America plan, we will have a better economy and a better environment. Let me tell you why I say that, Brett. America, Do it quickly. America has cut. <laughs> I'm a Southern boy, I talk slow. So America, America, <laughs> one. that was quick. America <laughs> has cut our carbon footprint in half in the last 25 years. The places where they are continuing to increase, Africa, 950 million people. India, over a billion. China, over a billion. Why would we put ourselves at a disadvantage, devastating our own economy? Let's bring our jobs home. We have a lot of okay. different topics to get yep, to. Yeah, we do. We thank you all. Thank you, Senator Scott. So coming up next, the candidates will weigh in on what could be a defining issue in the 2024 campaign. The first Republican debate continues moments away. And I think they had everybody show of hands. Do you believe in human behavior is causing climate change? Raise your hand if you do. Um, and I'm trying to remember how, how that went. I'm trying to remember how many people raised their hands and stuff. But it was it was kind of a mixed bag. Whenever they had everybody raise their hand, it was like somebody would raise their hand first and then other people would look around and raise their hands and some people raised their hands and some people did right. And at one point, like Chris Christie had raised his hand but it was to object. It was not to agree or something, but it just kind of confused the issue or something. I don't mm -hmm. know. The, the hand raising thing doesn't always go off well. So, yeah. Um, so I hear that and I'm like, oh, OK, OK, he's going to he's going to say, you know, climate change is real. It's man made. Da, 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 da. He's going to he's going to go off here. But he continues. So I can say this. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The climate change agenda is a hoax, and we have to declare independence. Uh, Anti-carbon agenda is a wet blanket on our economy. In reality, more people are dying of bad climate change policies than they are of actual climate change. I'm like, wow. <laughs> okay, he's not bought and paid for. Who is bought and paid for and is saying the opposite of that? Like, <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Like. The people who are bought and paid for are the ones who are saying, no, 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 the, you know, companies aren't doing this. The companies that pay me aren't causing all these problems, but like, I'm not bought and paid for. So I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, the companies are innocent, What? <laughs> you know, I'm speaking the truth. here. 
Yeah, yeah. Who would be who would who who exactly has a financial motive to make you say the opposite? I, I mean, arguably the Democratic Party who hates business or something. But like, where are they getting their money to 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 buy you off from then? George Soros. Oh yeah, yeah. We heard George Soros invoked at one point in this thing. So, um, whenever somebody says George Soros did something, I think the next question has to be. Give me some evidence that they did that, <laughs> because I've, I've heard George Soros accused of so many things that there's never any evidence that he did any of them. So it's just like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was interesting. I mean, it's interesting that. I don't know. I mean, obviously, like Vivek was referencing Obama by saying that. So it's kind of interesting that. Christie's gotcha moment was kind of recognizing that that was an Obama quote sounds like Obama. And when he said, like, we're dealing with another kind of, um, I'm thinking, like, what? Like, uh, not actual conservative? A minority? What, what, do you, what do you mean, another what? And he's like, oh, another amateur. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, I got you, Christy, I see. It's just like, I wasn't really sure how he was going to land that one. <laughs> right. That could have gone a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so then they had to go around and stuff, and they had to... to check with everybody because he seems to have insulted everybody by insinuating he's the only one who wasn't bought and paid for. So they went around to everybody. Yeah, it's like he wasn't really listening. He was just ready to say absolutely to something, anything. Um, <laughs> Tim Scott, you heard it here in the debate, people. Tim Scott, absolutely bought and paid for. From the horse's mouth. He says, okay, if we want to... If we want the environment to be better, and we all do, the best thing to do is bring our jobs home from China. Um, hmm. This, I mean, this is an interesting – I think this could be an interesting topic to debate because on a macro level, it may be true because we do have you know, different environmental standards in America. But if we want to you know, improve the environment in America locally, then this would be a disaster because in increasing industrial uh, or energy usage in America is almost guaranteed not to be good for the environment in America. But if you're talking about globally, then yes, probably bringing jobs out of places with lower environmental standards is probably good in the long run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But again, he didn't go into detail, so I don't know which way he meant that exactly. Right. Yeah. So that was interesting, I thought. Hmm. Um, and I was thinking, I mean, I, this is I think this is a fair argument. I mean, it, it is a fair argument. And you, you always say, you know, you go back and forth with like neocolonialism or colonialism or, you know, if if Western nations benefited from the Industrial Revolution and devastated the environment, why can't China and India get to do the same thing now? And, you know, it's an interesting argument, but at the end of the day, like, I mean, the climate change stuff seems to be the thing that could ruin the world for everybody. So it, it is like, yeah. And and if you if you it's kind of like if they have to stop before we stop, then it's just nobody's ever going to stop. Right. It's it's right. Uh, it's one of those situations. So. Right. But, yeah, that was my last thing before we go to abortion. Yeah. I think one thing that happens with these debates is sometimes. Like, you know, theoretically, a debate is to try to clear up what a person's beliefs are. Mm -hmm. Bob, could you tell me what anybody on the stage's actual beliefs are about abortion right now? Offhand, <laughs> having watched this thing within the last, you know, 24 to 48 hours? Um, well, they seem very committed to planting the idea in people's heads that 
all Democrats are for abortions right up until the moment of birth. Uh, yeah, but I mean, what what is any single what is any one named Republican's actual policy on abortion if they're elected president? Do they want a six week ban? Do they want a 15th ban? Do they want a nationwide think, ban? Do they not want to, Scott, do they want to leave it to the states? I think I think Tim Scott advocated for a 15 week ban at one point. I mean, DeSantis just signed a six-week ban, as it did Burgum, I think. Um, you know, uh, Nikki Haley seemed to be wanting to have it both ways. Well, well, Bob, my point is that some of the people who recently signed six-week bans, when they were asked about that for the nationwide thing, they gave, they equivocated and they gave some mixed answers and they gave some different answers. So. My point is, like, if you were watching this to come out and know exactly what everybody's stand on is if they're the president, it's very jumbled, I think. Yeah, by no, the that's time. true. Abortion has been a losing issue for Republicans since the Dobbs decision. In six state referendums, all have upheld abortion rights in this country. And even in red states, there are more swing state referendums that are coming up as we head into the elections as well on this. So, Governor Haley, what do you say to your party and to your state, which today confirmed a six-week abortion law as well, especially the impact on women suburban voters across this country? Thank you, Martha. I am unapologetically pro-life, not because the Republican Party tells me to be, but because my husband was adopted and I had trouble having both of my children, so I'm surrounded by blessings. Having said that, we need to stop demonizing this issue. This is talking about the fact that unelected justices didn't need to decide something this personal because it's personal for every woman and man. Now it's been put in the hands of the people. That's great. When it comes to a federal ban, let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. Can't we all agree that we should ban late-term abortions? Can't we all agree that we should encourage adoptions? Can't we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Can't we all agree that contraception should be available? And can't we all agree that we are not going to put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion? Let's treat this like the like a respectful issue that it is and humanize the situation and stop demonizing the situation. Vice President Pence, Governor DeSantis, you signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida. Uh, one of your biggest financial backers said that you need to, quote, shift to get moderates or you will lose. What do you say to him and others who say politically that is a tough thing to sell nationally? Well, I would say we sold uh, the biggest election landslide victory in the history of the Republican Party in the state of Florida in 2022. That's what I did. We can win. But second of all, look, um, you got to do what you think is right. I believe in a culture of life. Uh, I was proud to sign the heartbeat bill. Uh, I remember one of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids. What the Democrats are trying to do on this issue is wrong to allow abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. I know a lady in Florida named Penny. She survived multiple abortion attempts. She was left discarded in a pan. Fortunately, her grandmother saved her and brought her to a different hospital. 
we're better than what the Democrats are selling. We are not going to allow abortion all the way up till birth, and we will hold them accountable for their extremism. But just to we, be clear, Governor, would you sign a six-week ban federally? I'm going to stand on the side of life. Look, I understand Wisconsin is going to do it different than Texas. I understand Iowa and New Hampshire are going to do different. But I will support the cause of life as governor and as president. We, we Vice President Pence, a, you're shaking we your head. We must have a national... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on Senator. Vice President Pence, you're shaking your head. What, well, look, I'm, I'm not new to this cause. After I gave my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I opened up the book and I read... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And see, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses, now choose life. And I knew from that moment on, the cause of life had to be my cause. And I've been a champion for life in the Congress, a champion for life as governor and as vice president. And uh, to be honest with you, Nikki, you're my friend, but uh, consensus is the opposite of leadership. When the Supreme Court returned this question to the American people, they didn't just send it to the states only. It's not a state's only issue, it's a moral issue. And I promise you, as President of the United States, the American people will have a champion for life in the Oval Office. Can't we have a minimum standard in every state in the nation that says when a baby is capable of feeling pain, an abortion cannot be allowed? A 15-week ban is an idea whose time has come. It's supported by 70% of the American people but it's going to take unapologetic leadership, leadership that stands on principle and expresses compassion for women okay. in crisis hold, hold pregnancies. I'll do that as president of the United States. He called my name. So, I'm really to that. Seconds. so first of all, I will say it is in the hands of the people, and that's where it should be. But when you're talking about a federal ban, be honest with the American people. We haven't honest. had 45 pro-life senators in over 100 years. So no Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president could ban all those state laws. Don't make women feel like they have to decide on this issue when you know we don't have 60 Senate votes in the House. 70% of the American people support legislation but to 70 ban abortion of the after Senate a baby is capable not. of experiencing okay. pain. We of the Senate Governor does not. You have to be honest with the we American have to have people. A limit. Right, let's get Governor Bergman for one, one minute here. Um, so, but the Supreme Court did overturn Roe v. Wade, and and the, the result of that decision was that it went back to the states. So that's where it is right now. So, as I understand it, you are not in favor of a federal ban. What do you say? about the states, there's about five of them, including New Jersey, I think uh, a few others, that allow abortion up until the time of birth, though. If you were president, would you be able to abide that? Well, first of all, I'm a pro-life governor of a very pro-life state. And this is issue is, of course, very important. But I am on the record, and I stand behind that we should not have a federal abortion ban. Uh, we should not. And the reason why we shouldn't is very simple. It's the 10th Amendment in the Constitution. In the Constitution, which the states created the federal government, not the other way around, it says that there were certain duties allowed to the federal government delegated to them by the states. The rest are left to the states, comma, or importantly, or to the people. We need to get back to freedom and liberty for the people in this country.
And we can't have we can't have Republicans who fight for 50 years for this great cause and to return it back to the states, and then the next day they turn around and go, no, the feds should do that because the feds are stepping into people's lives, they're stepping into people's businesses. Over and over, if we say that the Fed should be in on this one, where do we stop? I say that we follow the Constitution, and this is returned to the states. This we, is where it should but be. But Governor Burgum, you signed a six-week ban. You signed a six-week ban. Governor Burgum, you signed a six-week ban. So you're saying federally, it's all going to go to the states. Yes, and what what is going to work in New York will never work in North Dakota, okay. and vice versa. That's Governor, why 50 Asa states. That's right here. 50 states. This, this is too important of an issue that I have to address. Uh, first of all, uh, the Supreme Court gave it back to the elected representatives, whether it's the states or whether it's the United States Congress. That's so right. there is authority, and that's why President Biden is pushing for a Democrat proposal, which is, in essence, abortion on demand through the term. So they have their extreme position at a national level. We, it's most likely going to be addressed in the states, but it's certainly fine for it to be addressed at the national level as well. Arkansas has the record of being the most pro-life state in the nation. I signed 30 pro-life pieces of legislation while I was governor. And every state can determine a different outcome here. And it is the most important issue for women and for the unborn child and for our country that we get this right. It's gonna be a continued debate Let's talk about it in terms of compassion, in terms of protecting the life, and also understanding how we have to enhance uh, abortion, uh, excuse me, adoption services, how we have to enhance maternal care. Those things we've done in Arkansas and are important for our nation's future. There are a lot of issues that are very important. Uh, I'll, Senator, I'll let you, Thank you. weigh in. We cannot let states like California, New York, and Illinois have abortions on demand up until the day of birth. That is immoral, it is unethical, it is wrong. We must have a president of the United States who will advocate and fight for at the minimum a 15-week limit. I am 100% pro-life conservative. I have a 100% pro-life record. I got to tell you, though, we must fight for life. Our Declaration of Independence says our Creator gave us inalienable rights that include life. That is a list. That is an issue we must solve. We can't leave it to Illinois. We can't leave it to Minnesota. We can't leave it to Illinois. We must solve that issue with a 15-week limit at a minimum. Brent, I think we're all pro-life, but Thank what you. I would love is for someone to ask Biden and Kamala Harris, are they for 38 weeks? Are they for 39 weeks? Are they for 40 weeks? Because that's what the media needs to be asking. All right. I mean, because like there were times where somebody was saying, like, well, would you support a you know a six-week ban? Uh, nationwide, and they're like, well, uh, you know, I don't know, it's a state's right issue, and, you know, what's right for New York City might not be what's right for my state of, you know, you know, <laughs> Alabama or whatever. Right. Uh, and, and, and then they, they start talking about the 15-week ban. It's like, so it's, it's, it's really this thing where, I mean, the Republican Party is in trouble, and I think this is one of the values of, of having these debates is that we can see I, I don't think that the abortion question would have been asked the same way in previous uh, Republican debates. I think that's a 2023 special where, you know, Roe versus Wade has recently been overturned and everybody sees that it's a disaster as far as what the Republicans had hoped would happen. Um, 
and they're having to kind of like reposition on this issue. And so even people who have been uh, signing very draconian laws in their own states are now on a national level seeming to kind of advocate like they're taking a step back and like, well, you know, I just think I think there's things we can all agree on. Right. Like, you know, can't we compromise on abortion? It's like where all these people are screaming abortion was murdered, you know, six months ago or a year ago, whatever. Right. uh, Now they're like, oh, we can compromise and some states want to do it differently. And we got to consider the health of the mother. And, you know, they sound like Democrats up there to some degree. So except for Mike Pence. Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to let's see. He attacks Haley. I'm trying to look at my notes and see what he was doing in here. Let's see. Um, So. Unlike so she's talking about the Supreme Court didn't need to decide this. Is that what she's saying? She thinks the revoking Roe versus Wade was wrong, or is she saying that Roe versus Wade was wrong back in the seventies? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit unclear. Um, now it's been put in the hands of the people. Uh, that's great when it comes to a federal ban. Let's be honest with the American people and say that it will take sixty Senate votes. Uh, and it will all take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. Can we all agree that we should ban late-term abortions? Well, no, Nikki, because late-term abortions largely only happen when the health of the mother is in, je- in jeopardy, right? Like when it's, or, it's or, if, or if the fetus is not viable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, that's the that's a, that's the part they don't ever say when they yeah. when they say that, of course. Yeah, they they go around pretending that like, you know, women, eight month pregnant women, eight and a half month pregnant women in Democratic, you know, states and cities just go around flipping coins about day to day whether or not they want to abort their fetus or not. It's like, no, yeah, the the late term abortion thing is largely it's like 99 percent or whatever, as far as I know, it's a case of the health of the mother or non-viable pregnancy. Right. So. Yeah. So. Yeah, can we all agree late-term abortions are non not a thing? No, Nikki, because you guys are you know not talking about this honestly, obviously. So, um, let's see. She continues trying to trying to find the middle ground, trying to like be reasonable and compromise on this stuff. So she says, um, "Can't we all agree that we should encourage adoptions?" Um, well, I don't know. I <laughs> mean, you can encourage them or not. People are going to adopt or they're not. But you can't make a woman who wants to have an abortion carry it to term and give it up for adoption if she doesn't want to. I mean, like, that's that's not, you know. Uh, can't we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Mm, I mean, maybe, but, like, I think it, it shouldn't be the case that, you know, women in any town or state shouldn't have access to abortion, right? Like, you can't have every single doctor in a town say, I'm not going to do it, like. I don't know, you know, I mean, like, you know, at a certain point, you have to hire a doctor who does do it. Uh, Otherwise, you're basically denying women their right. Um, uh, Can't we all agree that contraception should be available? And can't we all agree that we are going not going to put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion? (laughs) I doubt I doubt everybody on the stage agrees on either of those things, Nikki. Yeah, (laughs) let's treat this like a respect. Yeah. when when Republicans do this and they're like, like and and Vivek does this I think at another point when he's like, do we have the courage 
to reopen the mental health facilities. I'm like, who do you think closed all the mental health facilities? Do you think it was the Democrats? Because it wasn't. It was the Republicans. <laughs> they were the ones cutting social services to people. And now you're like, do we have the cur- we have a mental health crisis in this country. We need to help people. Like Nikki Haley's like, oh, can't we just all agree that we should have contraception? I'm like, yeah, that's why I advocate for sex positive sex education and not abstinence only. But who's the party that's pushing that, Nikki Haley? Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think you're talking about? <laughs> like, yeah, they're so duplic- they're so duplicitous on so many things. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, um, she says, let's treat this like a respectful issue that it is, and humanize the situation and stop demonizing the situation. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, let's see. They mention like what what is going on here? What is the story? She survived multiple abortion attempts, so she's still alive, and she's in a pan. And her grandmother grabs this pan of like this this fetus that has been you know attempted to be aborted. Well, what's this? Who is Penny? <laughs> we need to talk to Penny. I want to hear what what happened to Penny. It's, a, uh, it's just a first name. You can never. This is all the politician stories that they ever tell. This is like you can't fact. This is like when. Preachers and pastors tell a story during the sermon. It's like there's no way to fact check any of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to have. I, I think like the uh, the debate moderator should be empowered to say, um, "Okay, Mr. DeSantis, we want to we want to follow up on that. So give us a <laughs> give us a family name. You know, it doesn't have to be right now, but like backstage, give us a family name. We want to we want to investigate this case, right? <laughs> like, uh, so." Um, we are better than what the Democrats are selling. We are not going to allow abortion all the way up till birth, and we will hold them accountable for their extremism. Okay, so th- there's a big word salad there. But what he didn't answer, he didn't answer the question. He's, the question was, you signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida. Your backers say you shouldn't do that nationally. Which way are you going to go? And he's talking about, oh, I believe in life, and oh, I love my children. Oh, Penny almost got aborted, but she survived because of grandma. <laughs> And then he says, we're not going to allow abortion all the way up to birth. Mm. Okay, that's his that's his position. We are not going to allow abortion all the way up to birth. So basically he's saying no late term abortions. Right. That's he, he signed a six week ban in Florida. But nationally, all he's going to commit to is no late term abortions. Okay. Uh, so Brett Baer correctly follows up. But just to be clear, Governor, would you sign a six week ban federally? He said, I'm going to stand on the side of life. Look, I understand Wisconsin is going to be different than Texas. I understand Iowa and New Hampshire are going to do different, but I will support the cause of life as governor and as president. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, so he's basically saying, yeah, I mean, OK, to be to give him credit. OK, he's kind of going with the state's rights thing. Right. Which, you know, Republicans mm-hmm. have lar- have often been quite inconsistent on. Yeah, it, it's states rights when they don't have the power nationally, when they get the power nationally and they set up the Supreme Court the way they want it. They're talking now they're wanting to talk about a federal ban. Exactly. So, um, let's see. Then they go to Mike Pence. Let's look at that quote. <laughs> um, let's see. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I set before you life and death, blessings and cursings and now choose life. I think if anything, that that's an imperative to the 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 person you're talking directly to, right? Mm. That's saying don't kill yourself, basically choose life for yourself, right? Mm. I don't think that that's a prescription for abortion or not abortion, per se. Mm. And and also, I mean, Bob, you may be more closely connected to the religious aspect than I am, but aren't there quotes in the Bible encouraging or prescribing abortion? Mm. Yes, yeah, it goes both ways for sure. 
Uh-huh. I mean, isn't there something if your wife has lain with another man or something and there's a pregnancy involved, you yes. do something in that case? I mean, I, I, I the Bible verses for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't have them offhand, but I'm like, I don't know. I thought that that was a little bit of a dubious quote to say, because like, uh, uh, the pro-abortion people, uh, uh, the anti-abortion people, the pro-life people, or whatever, how they want to be called, mm. they've they've chosen this this slogan, "Choose life," right? Yeah, and he's quoting it from the Bible, "Choose life," but like. I, I, in the quote, it seems like the choose life is about what a person should do for themselves. It's not saying yeah. that in every situation where you can, you know, you can have an abortion or not have abortion, you could kill your enemy or not kill your enemy. In every situation, you should choose life. That's not what it's saying, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Yeah, I, I don't. It, I don't have the uh, uh, the quotes on deck. But if you want to open your good book, listeners at home, it's Jeremiah one five. <laughs> Okay. So. <laughs> hmm. Okay. There we go. So, yeah. So again, he's he's doing the you know the uh, evangelical Christian Midwest yeah. boomer dad thing. Yeah. So let's see. So he um he tells Nikki Haley consensus is the opposite of leadership. So again, we're not going to compromise with the Democrats. You know, this is not leadership. We have to lead on abortion basically. So he's attacking Haley a little bit there. Um, he continues. Um, let's see. He, uh, he'll be a champion of life in the oval office. Can't we have a minimum standard in every state in the nation that says that when a baby is capable of feeling pain, abortion cannot be allowed. A 15-week ban is an idea whose time has come. It's supported by 70% of the American people, but it's going to take unapologetic leadership, leadership that stands on principles and expresses compassion for women in crisis pregnancies. I'll do that as the president of the United States. Okay, so so Mike Pence is saying, you know, hey, I, you know, ever since I became a Christian, I've been against abortion and da da da. da. I've been a champion. I'm unapologetic, and so as this, you know, as this extremist abort, anti-abortion person. My solution is a 15-week ban, not a six-week ban, a 15-week ban, mm-hmm. and compassion for women in crisis pregnancies. So late-term abortions, yes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what he's going to do as president of the United States, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's so again, these people are talking like they're the ma- the maximalist, right? But the policies right. they're actually—I'm not saying they're moderate, but I'm saying like they are moderating from the most extreme thing they could possibly say, but then they're still trying to sell themselves as a maximalist on the issue. Well, the, well we have seen several uh, state-level elections since Roe was overturned that have not at all gone well for the pro-life, I don't like calling it that, anti-abortion side. And, yeah. um, you know, so I think that they're the dog that caught the car, and this was a great issue for them before it actually happened, and now I don't really know if they understand where to go next because they've been chasing this for so long and it's worked out so well for them to chase it but now that they've caught it it's like what else do we do and it doesn't seem like people like it very much yeah well yeah this is the you know this is the i think this is continuing this going forward this is going to be a problem for the republicans if they don't if they don't moderate on everything because they are increasingly a, I mean, what is it like? Five of the last six elections have not been 
won popularly by a Republican, right? Right. Uh, presidentially, um, they keep mm-hmm. they keep getting to be in the presidency and getting getting positions in states when they don't actually have the majority of votes. No. They are a you know a, a ruling minority party here. Their their p- yes. positions are not the majority positions, and yet they have to campaign on these positions and they have to govern on these positions. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it it is uh, interesting to see how duplicitous they get with these things because they the the party refuses to moderate their their positions on unpopular issues. So mm-hmm. abortion being one of them now. So yeah. Anyway, so that's I thought that was interesting. Let's see. So again, like I said, they're you know they want to be maximalist, but they can't commit to a nationwide six weeks ban, which is what they what they prescribed in their own their own areas, right? So it's it's again, they, these people are signing these crazy, uh, you know, basically complete bans of abortion in their own states. But then they they won't commit to the, the thing they actually believe in nationwide because they know it's a losing issue, basically. Yeah. Um, um, so then I think after that, they kind of started going to some like some tailor made questions to certain people. Uh, they talked about gun control with Chris Christie and Ramaswamy. All right. Another issue is America and the crime crisis, the homelessness crisis. American cities are in decline. People are moving out as homelessness, drugs, crime move in. Uh, There are problems accelerated. They did accelerate during the pandemic and are still rising, actually. Murders in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, all up 30 percent between 2019 and 2022. Homelessness is up 11 percent the largest jump in recorded history. Vice President Pence, a lot of this began in the COVID era. How much of what we're seeing happening around this country is a result of those COVID lockdowns and is your administration in part to blame for how we got here? Well, I think what's in part to blame is the Democrats been talking about defunding the police for the last five years. And we ought to be funding law enforcement, particularly in our major cities, at, at unprecedented levels. I mean, it's extraordinary to think about the violence that's claiming innocent lives literally every week in every major city in this country. And yet Democrats and liberal prosecutors in major metropolitan areas continue to, to work out their fanciful agendas, to, to do a, a bail reform and, and go easy. What we need is, is strong commitment to law enforcement. We need leadership in Washington, D.C. that will marshal the resources of the states, marshal the resources of the American people. But let me also say it's about opportunity. I mean, a lot of people don't know that those Trump-Pence tax cuts that we got signed into law go away at the end of 2025 if we don't have a Republican president uh, and a Republican House and a Republican Senate. When I'm president of the United States, we're actually going to cut taxes further. We're going to extend those tax cuts, and we're going to close the Federal Department of Education, block grant all that funding back to the states with a growing economy and educational choice and and law enforcement. We will bring our cities back. Governor Christie, um, another issue. This weekend here in Milwaukee, reports say there were 30 shootings, and a number of them including kids. Uh, Add that to the big increase in school shootings around the country. Democrats blame this crisis on easy access to guns. They also blame Republicans for blocking gun control legislation. What would President Christie do? 
You know, I'm proud of the fact, Brett, that I'm the only person along with Governor Hutchinson up on this stage who's actually running United States Attorney's Office. I ran the fifth largest office in America in a, in a state where there is significant urban crime. And the problem is not going to be solved by more money. The problem is, is, is that these prosecutors in these localities in the states are refusing to do their job and to arrest violent criminals. So what a President Christie would do is appoint an attorney general who would instruct each of the 93 U.S. attorneys that they are to take over the prosecution of violent crime in every one of those cities that are failing to do so. We have plenty of room in the federal prisons to lock up these violent criminals and clean up what's going on all across this country in these individual cities. Secondly, what we need to make sure that each and every one of these criminals understand is that the laws apply to everybody. And when Hunter Biden fills out a fake application, a false application for a, for a gun permit, and then is facing a 10-year mandatory minimum, which was mandated by legislation sponsored by his father, and then you have a Justice Department that walks away from those charges, we're telling people that the law doesn't apply to everybody. In a Christie administration, he would go to jail for 10 years. What about a President Ramaswamy? What does a President Ramaswamy do about guns? So the reality is we have a crime wave in this country and we know how to fix it. The question is, do we actually have the spine to do it? More cops in the streets who are on the streets able to do their jobs without looking over their shoulder for getting sued. And we also have a mental health epidemic in this country. Just over the same period that we have closed mental health institutions, we have seen a spike in violent crime. Do we have the spine to bring them back? I think we should. As president, I will. But it's not just drugging up people in those psychiatric institutions with Zoloft and Seroquel. It's a deeper issue. I think faith-based approaches can play a role here, too. We're in the middle of a national identity crisis. And I say this as a member of my generation. The problem in our country right now the reason we have that mental health epidemic is that people are so hungry for purpose and meaning at a time when family, faith, patriotism, hard work have all disappeared. What we really need is a tonal reset from the top, saying that this is what it means to be an American. Yes, we will stand for the rule of law. Yes, we will close the southern border where criminals are coming in every day. And yes, we will back law enforcement because we remember who we really are. And that's also how we address that mental health epidemic in the next generation that is directly leading to violent crime Can I across speak this Governor DeSantis, really quickly. Governor DeSantis. We don't have an identity crisis, Vivek. We're not looking for a new national identity. The American people are the most faith-filled, freedom-loving, idealistic, hard-working people the world has ever known. We just need government as good as our people. Well, Mike, I think the difference is you might have, some others like you may have on this stage, it's morning in America speech. It is not morning in America. We live in a dark moment, and we have to confront the fact that we're in an internal, sort of cold cultural civil you war. And we have to recognize the American that people with the failed win. government in Washington, D.C. We just need government as good as our people again. So, so, I can, so let me just finish DeSantis addressing that slogan, wait, wait because I don't here. know what that slogan Brett, means. Mark, we need I to shut down the administrative state. That's actually how we translate crime it. Crime has been Mark, on the rise in Florida, Governor DeSantis. How do you stop? Crime. Well, actually, crime's at a 50-year low not in Florida. In, we're, we're, we're happy with that. Well, the statewide, it's a 50-year low. And so here's the thing. 
these hollowed out cities, this is a symptom of America's decline. And one of the biggest reasons is because you have George Soros funding these radical left-wing district attorneys. They get into office and they say they're not going to prosecute crimes. They disagree with the inmates start running the asylum. There's one guy in this entire country that's ever done anything about that, me. When we had two of these district attorneys in Florida elected with Soros funding who said they wouldn't do their job, I removed them from their post. They are gone. And as president, as president, we are going to go after all of these people because they are hurting the quality of life and they are victimizing innocent people in every corner of this country. And it will stop when I get into office. Okay. One more here before the break, Governor Gorgon. But Rhett and Martha, I just thought it was interesting. You asked your question about the problems we're having in big cities. Nobody ever asked the question of what about the crime wave in small towns? Because in a small town, neighbors help neighbors. People understand each other. If a farmer gets sick, everybody comes together and helps them get the crop off. There's accountability. There's transparency. One thing that I think this country could use is somebody in the White House that understands small town values because that's our road back to get this country on track again. Governor Hutchinson? As former head of the DEA, I understand the drug crisis in America. And right now, whenever you look at the challenges in our inner, inner city, uh, there's three simple words that would be helpful. One, enforce the law when it comes to crime. Secondly, let's deal with the challenge of fentanyl. And it's both about stopping the fentanyl coming from Mexico, but it's also about education of our young people, making sure that we have uh, the tools that are needed for addiction counseling. That's what we expanded in Arkansas as well. Whenever you look at the underlying challenge of America, though, no one likes to see an America with smash and grab in our inner cities. As president of the United States, that will stop. It starts at the top with the respect for our justice system that a former president who's under indictment has undermined by attacking judges, by attacking prosecutors, by attacking the system and saying he's aggrieved. And so we have to have respect for our justice system and the rule of law, and it starts at the top with the President of the United States. Brett, Thank Brett, you. Hold on. Take a break. Um, oh, it, it doesn't really answer the question of how you stop crime in cities, but that's an interesting point, Chris Christie. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I admittedly, I haven't followed, you know, I, to, to some degree, I think the charges against uh, Hunter Biden are kind of like a, you know, it's a human interest story. It's a non-issue politically, largely. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he what he did with a gun or whatever, but I like, don't, you know, no, I don't know. I I guess I guess there could be a, a bit of hypocrisy there if you know Joe Biden signed a mandatory minimum for the crime that his son was convicted of, not just charged with, but convicted of. Then, well, who knows? Who knows? But it's you know it's interesting that he's you know. In a Christie administration, he'd go to jail for 10 years. So wait a minute. I thought that we all Republicans were against the politicization of the criminal justice uh, departments, right? Like the, you know, the Justice Department, et cetera. But you're, si you're sitting here saying that if I'm the president, I will send the Justice Department after the son of my opponent, <laughs> right? Like that's literally what you're saying here, right? Of you're course. saying in a Christie, you know, Hunter Biden's going to jail if I'm the president. Wow. Yeah. 
Ramaswamy, more cops, more mental health, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of his solution for guns, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. I think Mike Pence takes another shot at. I'm like, is this is this Mike? This sounds like a cam. Is this Mike Pence's campaign slogan? A government as good as our people. Oh yeah. That sounds like that sounds like he's like he's trotting out the new campaign slogan. <laughs> yes. So yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So he's he's yelling at Vivek again because Vivek was saying something about you know we need we need to bring religion back into American life or something, faith, family, patriotism, da 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 da. <laughs> which religion vivek which religion <laughs> right yeah i don't know did you have anything else about that section or no it, i think it I seemed think, like they're kind of bouncing from one question to another person by person yeah i think we pretty well covered that but... <laughs> i was thinking who brett bayer was clever for that one <laughs> that's a clever way to refer to donald trump the elephant not in the room right <laughs> But we are going to take a brief moment and talk about the elephant not in the room. Former President Trump has been indicted in four different states on 91 counts. He will be processed tomorrow in Georgia at the Fulton County Jail for charges relating to the 2020 election loss. You all signed a pledge to support the eventual Republican nominee. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. Just hold on. So just to be clear, Governor Christie, you were kind of late to the game there, but you raised your hand? No, I'm doing this. Look, look, I'm doing this. And I know you didn't. Whoa, whoa. No, come. What's and then look, would, would, look here's, the, here's the bottom line. Someone's got to stop normalizing this conduct, okay? Now, and now whether or not, whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. You know, this is the great thing about this country. Booing is allowed, but it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the truth. Mr. Ramaswamy, you raised your hand supporting. No, I'd like to get in and respond. Let's just speak the truth, okay? President Trump, I believe, was the best president of the 21st century. It's a fact. And Chris Christie, honest to God, your claim that Donald Trump is motivated by vengeance and grievance would be a lot more credible if your entire campaign were not based on vengeance and grievance against one man. And if people at home want to see a bunch of people blindly bashing Donald Trump without an iota of vision for this country, they could just change the channel to MSNBC right now. But I'm not running for president of MSNBC. I am running for president of the United States. We're skating on thin ice, and we cannot set a precedent where the party in power uses police force to indict its political opponents. It is wrong. We have to end the weaponization of justice in this country. 30 seconds, Governor DeSantis. No, 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 I'm sorry. 30 seconds, Governor You make me laugh because 
you sit, you sit, you sit here in an answer. You sit here in an answer. You sit here in an answer. Go ahead, Hold Governor on. Christie. Hold on, Governor Christie. Hold on. Well, so listen. The more time we st spend doing this, the less time they can talk about issues you want to talk about. So let's just get through this section. Governor Christie. You you sit here talking about how you want to stand up for the rule of law. Yes. And law and order. And the fact is that it can't be selective. In your book, you had much different things to say about Donald Trump than you're saying here tonight. That's and, not true. No, it is very true. That's not it's true. It's very true. I read it. Because and I know. Look, between I bad know. behavior and illegal behavior, way, Chris. And you as a prosecutor way, should know yeah, better. Yeah, I, you know what? I know a lot There's better. There's a difference between I bad know, behavior. And I know a lot better than you do. You've never done it like you've never done anything to try to advance the interests of this government except to put yourself forward as a candidate tonight. And here's the thing. We stood up for law and order. I did it as U.S. attorney. I did it as governor. And I am not going to bow to anyone when we have a president of the United States who disrespects the Constitution. He said, he said, he said, he said, Martha, it's important to say that the president said, Donald Trump said, it's okay to suspend the Constitution. Now, the oath you take is to preserve protect and defend, not suspend. I will always stand up for our Constitution regardless of the political pressure. Right, we have another question for you. We're going to get everyone in on this issue, but I have another question. I have another question. Hold on, you will. You all signed a pledge to support the eventual Republican nominee. If, President, if former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. Hold on, just to be clear, Chris Christie, you were kind of late to the game there, but your hand, you raised your hand. No, I'm doing this. Look, I'm doing this, not this. Uh, I know you didn't or something. Uh, uh, so I wasn't, I was not really sure. Chris Christie gets booed. Um, let's see. Um, he says, look, here's the bottom line. Somebody's got to stop normalizing this conduct, okay? Now, whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the the office of president of the United States. This is the great thing about this country. Booing is allowed, but it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the truth. So I'm guessing, I don't, I guess he was, was he saying that he, he would not vote for Trump? Is that what he was saying? I don't know. Cause didn't he have to sign the pledge to get on the debate stage? Yeah, but I thought that was the thing that they all had. I would, that was the rite of passage. I mean, I know he's been a critic of Trump, but I believe to be a part of the RNC made him do that, I think. Okay. But but then why are they asking the question, right? Because like, I feel uh -huh. like, um, was there one person who didn't? Um, maybe Asa Hutchinson or somebody didn't or maybe something? Maybe he didn't. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's a stupid thing because, like, do you pledge to vote for the eventual Republican nominee? Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course I will. Then you get on stage, you can say, no, I won't. They're not going to drag you off stage. What can they? They can't really do anything to you. Are they going to not? In, they're going to disinvite you to the next one or what? Like yeah. it's like you could just very you could just lie about that. Just to get off <laughs> stage. that's not a big deal. But then like you know, there's all the locker up stuff that Trump was doing before he got elected. Then there was the Hunter Biden jail for ten years stuff that Chris Christie was talking about. So like the weaponization of the justice stuff. This is all very much a Republican project. So <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and you know, and there's more back and forth between Christie and Vivek. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, any anything else about that one? The the pledge, the obligatory um, pledge that supports Republicans. I I think it was interesting how Vivek and Christie went at each other, and I think this is the one another example of Vivek being the Trump stand-in. Vivek uh, says Christie is filled with vengeance, um, <laughs> but doesn't address. You know, it's funny because he says that because he doesn't really address Trump's character at all. He's just saying, "Oh, I know who you are. What are you? I, <laughs> I know, I know, I am. But what are you? Or, or like, like he's just he doesn't really address that Trump is run. He runs completely on petty vengeance. I mean, if you've ever listened to him, I mean, objectively, that's what he does. You can say you like it or don't, but." Uh, yeah. you know, just because Christie's going after him doesn't make it not true that Trump is. It's a fact he is, you know, a vengeful, petty man. So I, I think it's unfortunate that the Republican Party is so, you know, held in thrall to Donald Trump that he's this saint that you know must not be criticized really, because frankly, you know, a lot of the Republicans on the stage could have a very easy time just to say. Like, for example, you know, Christie or Haley or Pence or any of these guys up there, they can tell all these little new upstarts to shut the hell up. They say, hey, look, I work with the guy. You don't even know the guy. You've never met the guy. But you're sitting here, you know, proclaiming that you're more loyal to Trump than I am. And you've never even met him. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, I work with him for two years or something. So shut the fuck up that you, you know, you know, you would get along better with Trump than me. It's like, you know. 95% 95% of the people who work with the guy end up hating him or suing him or being fired or being arrested for working with, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not a good thing. Like this, you know, when so many people who work with the guy have a problem with him after they finish working with them, that could be about him, right? That's not always about us. Like, yeah, exactly. But they can't say that, right? They can't say that because they've got to still, you know, genuflect to, to Trump that he's the, he's the great victim of the Republican party right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just so it allows to Mike it allows Pence. people like Ramaswamy to come up there and like you know pretend he's the most loyal Trumpista ever when right. he's never met the guy. So and and Mike know. Pence is like, I was the biggest sycophant you could imagine for four years, and just because I didn't do one thing at the end, I'm now enemy number one. All that was for nothing, you know. Like he he got he never made it to the big chair because he he didn't uh, you know he didn't bend the knee right at the end there. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic at work in the Republican Party where the people who have experience and have power have had power and have been close to this this character have to they're not allowed to to, to use that to the maximum ability to basically attack unqualified people. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, On the around. Let's see. I think the next section was did Mike Pence do the right thing on January 6th? Mm hmm. President Trump's former vice president is on this stage tonight. He has faced hecklers on the campaign trail over his actions on January the 6th. On that day, the vice president moved forward with the certification of the election. So do you believe that Mike Pence did the right thing, Senator Scott? Do you believe he did the right thing? Absolutely. He did the right thing. Number one. Number two. We should be we should be asking ourselves a bigger question about the weaponization of the Department of Justice. When I'm president, the first thing I'll do is fire Merrick Garland. Second thing I'll do, fire Christopher Ray. 
because we need Lady Justice to wear a blindfold. Without that, no one has confidence in our justice system. 17% of Republicans have confidence in our Department of Justice. Here's why. We keep seeing not only the weaponization of the Department of Justice against political opponents, but also against parents who show up at school board meetings. They're called, under this DOJ, they're called domestic terrorists. Firing Christopher but, but, but Ray that's Ray not okay. going to shut that. down the FBI. Mr. Actually, I'm the courage to get it right. Mr. Ramos, no, 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 no. Let me finish my comments. Yes. Not only that, in addition to that, we see the SWAT team show up at pro-life activist homes with guns drawn because this DOJ uses their power, uses their authority, not just against political opponents, but against conservatives and conservative causes. It is time for a change in America, and I will bring that change to the greatest nation on God's Martha, green earth. Martha. We have an important but question. But Governor DeSantis, do you believe that Mike Pence did the right thing on January 6th? So here's what we need to do. We need to end the weaponization of these federal agencies. Right. But I will question. do that. That's not the question. Here, I, I know, but here's the thing. This the election <laughs> is not about January 6th of 2021. It's about January 20th of 2025, when the next president is going to take office. I know what the Democrats would like to do. They want to talk about all these other issues, but we've got to focus on your future. We've got to focus on reversing the decline of our country. Right, right. I learned in the military, I was assigned uh, with U.S. Navy SEALs in Iraq, that you focus on the mission above all else. You can't get distracted. So Republicans, we've got to look forward and we've got to make sure that we're bringing the message that can win in Vice November 2024. Do not answer the question. Vice President Pence, what do you think is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States? I think, I, I think the American people deserve to know whether everyone on this stage agrees that I kept my oath to the Constitution that day. There's we no more important duty. So, so answer the question. Thing. I've, I've answered this before. So yes. Now, why are we? He, Mike, Mike did his duty. I got no beef with him. But here's the thing: Is this what we're going to be focusing on? I'm relieved. Going we forward, will. the yeah. rehashing of this. I'll yes. tell you, Governor the DeSantis. Democrats would love that, we and they will win well, if we let them get away with it. Let me just say, Governor DeSantis, we spent an hour talking about policy. Former President Trump is beating you by 30, 40 points in many polls. So it is a factor in the GOP primary. Governor right. Hutchinson, you did, did not raise your hand. I did not raise my hand because there's an important issue we as a party have to face. And over a year ago, I said that Donald Trump was morally disqualified from being president again as a result of what happened on January 6th. More people are understanding the importance of that, including conservative legal scholars who says he may be disqualified under the 14th Amendment from being president again as a result of the insurrection. This is something that could disqualify him under our rules and under the Constitution. And so, obviously, I'm not going to support somebody who's been convicted of a serious felony or who has this, is disqualified under our Constitution, and that's consistent with RNC rules, and I hope everybody would agree with me. Can I answer the question? Can I get in on Okay, this? I'd like to answer. You, no, I've, I've already been on it, Vice President okay. Pence. All right, I'd like to answer the question Go you ahead. asked and not give a pre-canned speech. Mike Pence stood 
for the Constitution. And he deserves not grudging credit, he deserves our thanks as Americans for putting his oath of office and the Constitution of the United States before personal, political, and unfair pressure. And the argument that we need to have in this party before we can move on to the issues that Ron talked about is we have to dispense with the person who said that we need to suspend the Constitution to put forward his political career. Mike Pence said no, and he deserves credit for it. Okay. I do think that Vice President Pence did the right thing, and I do think that we need to give him credit for that. But what I will also tell you is, look, I mean, when it comes to whether President Trump should serve or not, I trust the American people. Let them here, vote. Here. Let them decide. But here, what here. they will tell you is that it is time for a new generational conservative leader. We have to look at the fact that three-quarters of Americans don't want a rematch between Trump and Biden. And we have to face the fact that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. We can't win a general election that way. Happy to answer the question. Mike Pence did the right thing on January 6th. But I want to say, you started off the top of this hour saying we're going to talk about China, Ukraine, education. We are. China is the number one threat to our country. And every minute that these eight candidates spend talking about the past instead about the future is time that is just the, the you know who loves it? Biden loves it, but China loves it when we're talking about the past. Okay. As promised, we were going to spend a few questions on it, let people say what they wanted to say. So this is an interesting, this is another section where, you know, it, it got a little bit feisty and interesting and stuff. And some people were, you know, enthusiastically supporting Pence and some people were grudgingly supporting Pence, but then trying to pivot to the rest of their, their, you know, their stump speech or whatever about other topics. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was an interesting one. Um, okay, let me see where I've got notes on this one. Uh well, let's see. There's the part where Ron DeSantis was. I, I learned in the military. I was assigned with U.S. Navy SEALs in Iraq. Yeah, I wrote that. I mentioned the Navy SEALs like twice. I'm like, you know, I, I'm trying to imagine the scenario. <laughs> all right, guys. It's zero dark 45. Okay, we're all in position. Uh, Mr. DeSantis, take the door. <laughs> Come on. Are we really? What, what was he doing? I, I'd love to know exactly how closely. Ron DeSantis was working with the Navy SEALs. I I, I feel like he's over over he, he spoke, overstated. He, he served as a legal advisor to SEAL Team Team One. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think he was six. breaking Here's, here's the deal. You, you can down. shoot. You can shoot Bin Laden. You can't shoot the wife. Okay. <laughs> that's that's what I'm. That's what your clearance is. I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, is that what are we talking about here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when he, he he was assigned with U.S. Navy SEALs, I'm imagining him taking doors with him or something. But no, no, of course not. And, and of or course, I never for a second believed this. Guantanamo as well, apparently. But. Yeah, yeah, he was down there like torturing some folks or whatever. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I I think frankly, I think he should have been prosecuted by somebody for the stunt of uh, kidnapping. Uh, 
migrant and refugee families from mm. where did he kidnap them from? From Texas, but Texas. then he, he even though he's in Florida, he kidnapped them from Texas, yeah. and then lied to them and put them on buses driving them halfway across America to drop them in quote unquote blue cities or blue states. Um, and recently I saw a story that a like I, I believe a what was a three year old girl or a six month old girl or something died on one of the buses somewhere out near Chicago where she was never mm. supposed to have been. Like, at what point do who has legal standing to bring these people to to court? I mean, mm-hmm. this is I think this is an absolutely this is human trafficking like 101, right? Like this is how is this legal or how is this allowed? You know, it, of course, it's popular on the Republican side. Republicans love Ron DeSantis because he did it. Sure. OK, but it's still a crime. And like who has the standing to prosecute this kind of stuff? Right. So. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so working in Guantanamo Bay, claims to be working with the Navy SEALs in Iraq. Okay. Um, so, again, the question was something about, let's see. Okay, so they asked him, did Mike Pence do the right thing? He said this election was not about January 6th of 2021. It's about January 20th of 2025 when the next president. And then he talks about the Navy SEALs and all that stuff. And Martha McCollum says, that's fine. Did not answer the question. Did not answer the question. Vice President Pence, what do you think? He said, uh, let's see, something, something of the United States is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. I think the American people deserve to know whether everyone on this stage agrees that I kept my oath to the Constitution that day. There's no more important duty, so answer the question. So Mike Pence is trying to get them all to commit that he did the right thing so they can't later come out with, you know, as uh, Trump's new VP saying, oh, Mike Pence sucked or whatever. Um, And let's see, Ron DeSantis says, oh, we've answered this how many times? I've answered this before. Brett Bayer says, so yes. And Ron DeSantis finally admits, Mike did his duty. I got no beef with him. But here's the thing. Is this what we're going to be focusing on? And Mike Pence says, oh, I'm relieved. Ron (laughs) says, going forward and the rehashing of this, I'll tell you, the Democrats would love that. And they'll win if we let him get away with it. I'm not letting Biden hang out in the basement this time. We're going to hunt, run him ragged around this country, and we're going to hold him accountable. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so DeSantis was trying to avoid paying any compliment to Pence. Pence put him on the spot, and there was this, this grudging acknowledgement, yes, Mike did the right thing, and now I want to pivot to how I'm going to fight Biden, which has nothing to do with any of this, of course. So, um. Let's see. Chris Christie, let's see. They want to move on, but Chris Christie says, Martha, can I answer the question? Can I get in on this? Uh, I'd like to answer. Uh, You're you're going to like my answer. Hang on. Uh, And Martha McCollum says, you have already been in on it, Vice President Pence. (laughs) And Chris Christie then strongly, not grudgingly, praises Pence for January 6th. He says, all right, I'd like to answer the question you asked. And not give a pre-canned speech. Mike Pence stood for the Constitution. He deserves not grudging credit. He deserves our thanks as Americans for putting his oath of office and the Constitution of the United States before personal, political, and unfair pressure. The argument that we need to have in this party before we can move on to the issue that Ron talked about is we have to dispense with the person who said that we need to suspend the Constitution to put forward his political career. Mike Pence said no, and he deserves credit for that. Mm. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting hearing Chris Christie say dispense, dispense with, mm-hmm. right? 
wasn't that uh, little Marco? Little mm-hmm. Marco. Mm-hmm. Let's dispense with this idea that uh, Barack Obama yes. doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and he, he kept repeating that. Let's dispense <laughs> with the idea that da 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 da. And wasn't that the thing that Chris Christie dinged him on uh, yeah. four years ago or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that was an interesting callback. You mean uh, you mean eight year or uh, it wasn't it wasn't eight years ago. Six what? years ago. Dear God, how long has it been? Seven? <laughs> that wasn't 2020. That was 2016, wasn't it? Jesus. We're all getting old. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so crazy how time flies. Yeah. I like Marco Rubio, and he's a smart person and a good guy, but he simply does not have the experience to be president of the United States and make these decisions. We've watched it happen, everybody. For the last seven years, the people of New Hampshire are smart. Do not make the same mistake again. I think the experience is not just what you did, but how it worked out. Under Chris Christie's governorship of New Jersey, they've been downgraded nine times in their credit rating. This country already has a debt problem. We don't need to add to it by electing someone who has experience at running up and and destroying the credit rating of his state. But I would add this, let's dispel with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is trying to change this country. He wants America to become more like the rest of the world. We don't want to be like the rest of the world. We want to be the United States of America. And when I'm elected president, this will become, once again, the single greatest nation in the history of the world, not the disaster Barack Obama has imposed upon us. You see, everybody, I want the people at home to think about this. That's what Washington, D.C. does. The drive-by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information, and then the memorized 25-second speech that is exactly what his advisors gave him. See, see, Marco, Marco, the thing is this. When you're president of the United States, when you're a governor of a state, the, the memorized 30-second speech where you talk about how a great America is at the end of it doesn't solve one problem for one person. They expect you to plow the snow. They expect you to get the schools open. And when the worst natural disaster in your state's history hits you, they expect you to rebuild their state, which is what I've done. None of that stuff happens on the floor of the United States Senate. It's a fine job. I'm glad you ran for it. But it does not prepare you for president of the United States. Chris, your state got hit by a massive snowstorm two weeks ago. You didn't even want to go back. They had to shame you into going back. And then you stayed there for 36 hours, and then he left and came back to campaign. Those are the facts. Here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is, the memorized 25-second speech. Well, that's the the reason why this camp... You know what the shame is, Marco? The shame is that you would actually criticize somebody for showing up to work, plowing the streets, getting the trains run back on time, when you've never been responsible for that in your entire life. He didn't want to go back. And... And the fact is, I went back, it got done, and here's something. You didn't want to go back. I went back. Oh, so, uh, wait a second. Is now one of the the skills you get as a United States Senator ESP also? Chris, everybody, you said you weren't going to go back. The fact is, Marco. He told everyone he wasn't going to go back. And they had to shame him into going back. Marco, because. And then when he decided to go back, he criticized the young lady saying, what am I supposed to do, go back with a mop? By the way, it gets very very unruly when he gets off his talking Thank you, Governor. Yep. Ain't it funny how time slips away, as the song said. Uh, let's see. Nikki Haley supports Pence. Then she pivots to something else. Uh, Doug Burgum supports Pence. And then finally, Mike Pence wants to He says, can I speak on this issue? I was kind of involved. Martha McCollum says, you answered on this issue. You did answer. He said, and Brett Baer says, you did say something. We thought you were done, but uh, please. And he says, no, I wasn't done. And okay. Then Vivek Ramaswamy butts in. 
to try to commit to pardoning Trump. The U.S. has committed nearly 77. Can I speak on this issue? I was you kind of didn't. Involved. You didn't answer. On this <laughs> issue. You, you didn't. You didn't say answer. something. Yeah, yeah. I thought we thought you were done, but you uh, no, please. I wasn't done. Well, Mike, why don't you say this? Join me yeah. in making a commitment well that on day one you would pardon Donald Trump. I'm the only candidate on the stage who had the courage to actually say it. That is how we move our nation forward I don't know and turn the page forward. That That's exactly Trump right. will be convicted of these crimes. You should make, be able to make a commitment, the same oh. justice system that was this corrupt. That's the difference between you and, and me. Yeah, I, I'm not a professional actually, politician. That's I've the difference. Actually, we can answer uh, a question. I've actually given pardons. When I was governor of the state of Indiana, it usually follows a finding of guilt and contrition by the individual that's been convicted. So, we'll look, we'll, if I'm president of the United States, we'll give fair consideration to any pardon request. But if I may, <laughs> if I may, you know, it's not about looking back at, at January 2021. It's about January 20th, 2017. I put my left hand on Ronald Reagan's Bible. I raised my right hand. And I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And it ended with a prayer, so help me God. It was a promise that I made to the American people, but I also made it, it made it to my Heavenly Father. Every day for four years I sought to keep that oath. And everyone on this stage needs to make it clear whether or not they'll do the same if they earn this job and the confidence of the American people. Now look, I've made it clear. I, I had hoped that the issues surrounding the 2020 election and the controversies around January 6th had not come to this, had not come to criminal proceedings. I would rather they had been resolved by the American people and the American people alone. But no one's above the law, and President Trump is entitled to the presumption of innocence that every American is entitled to, and we will make sure and extend that to him. But the American people deserve to know that the president asked me in his request that I reject or return votes unilaterally, power that no vice president in American history had ever exercised or taken, uh, he asked me to put him over the Constitution. And uh, I chose the Constitution, and I always will. I had no Mr. right to overturn the election, and Kamala Harris will have no right to overturn the election when we beat them in 2024. Thank you, Vice President Pence. Well, he said, well, Mike, you didn't say... Why don't you say this? Join me in making a commitment that on day one, you would pardon Donald Trump. I'm the only candidate on the stage who had the courage to actually say it. That is how we move our nation forward and turn the page forward. That's exactly right. And then Mike Pence says, I don't know. You, you assume that Donald Trump will be convicted of these crimes. He says, you should be able to make a commitment that the same justice system that was this corrupt. That's the difference between you and me. I'm not the professional position. That's the difference. Who can answer a question? Let's see. Uh, so then Mike Pence gives them a big, long lecture about when you pardon people and how you pardon people and how they have to express regret and contrition and admit their guilt before you can pardon them and all this mm -hmm. stuff. So he gets a little, you know, sanctimonious maybe, but maybe also correct. So. Okay. But I, I do, I did want to say something about that because I've actually written about Mike Pence's uh, record on uh, actually won a Society of Professional Journalists award for this story. Okay. Uh, but I'm just trying to find it real quick because I did want to make a point about this because 
He does not have a stellar record as far as uh, pardons go in the state of Indiana when he was governor. Mm. Uh, pretty big deal. And this was in the waning days of his uh, governorship. Yeah. Well, he at least seems to have more knowledge, working knowledge of how the process is supposed to go than Vivek Ramaswamy does. And Yeah, yeah. of course. And, you know, I'm, I think he's just trying to do the uh, Gerald Ford pardoning Nixon thing uh, and trying to get in good with anyone that would vote for Trump would vote for him, too. Um, it's all it's it's all, you know. All right. So if, if people if people want to Google here. this, you don't you don't have to read my story about this, but please, uh, people listening at home, Google <laughs> the case of Keith Cooper. Um, Keith Cooper was convicted of felony robbery in 1997, sentenced to 40 years. Um, the case fell apart over time. Um, witnesses recanted. Evidence pointed to another man. All witnesses ultimately recanted their testimony against him. DNA evidence also vindicated him. Uh, he was, his case was taken up by the Exoneration Project at the University of Chicago. A hat the shooter left behind contained DNA matching someone else who was uh, on another murder conviction in Michigan. So um, anyway, the 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 everything was overturned and he was just sitting there waiting for um to be pardoned um and he was finally pardoned by current governor holcomb but he tried to get the pence administration to do it in the waning days of his administration and he wouldn't he wouldn't do it even though all the um all the evidence pointed to this guy didn't do it um and so he kind of let it uh, subside and he only issued three pardons during his entire administration. And this was not one of them. And so he has a, a very poor record on, on pardoning people, even when the, the evidence is clear. So anyway, if I'm, I'm not doing it justice, but just you don't have to read my story about it, but just look up the story of Keith Cooper and, and you'll see Mike Pence's uh, record on pardons in the state of indiana when he was governor so huh. okay I, lo I love the false modesty there bob yeah is, well you can't you can't read my story because it's behind a paywall which is why it took me so long to find it but oh okay okay yeah well i was going to say it's like a you know i i want an award i want a journalism award for this article but you don't have to read my article you could read some other inferior article about the same story <laughs> if you want you could do whatever you want <laughs> no, I, I meant to say that there's one probably that's not behind a paywall. My original oh, okay. one behind a paywall. I don't think you'd be able to read it. So. I recently, somebody recently pointed out to me that there's a website you can go to or something to access paywalled articles or something that where you can mm -hmm. read them without the paywall. I don't know. I think it's a great thing. I, I, I forgot the website though offhand, but and it might be illegal to promote it or something. But yeah, anyway, something to think about. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. No, congratulations for that. Definitely. I've been hearing you've been winning a lot of awards these days. Recently, yeah, well, thanks. For, for several yeah. years. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, Mike Pence, maybe not great on pardons, of course, you know. Yeah. You know, they're. Uh, yeah. It's it's kind of the conservative mindset, though, the punitive uh, punishment aspect of the, the criminal justice uh, system. Right. So, yeah. Mm. Hmm.
Yeah. So anyways, let's see. Haley, like I said, okay, Haley supports Pence, then pivots. So yeah, again, yeah, Vivek tried to make make Pence commit to well and and Vivek is kind of an annoying dude too, because it's like Vivek has no idea about the relationship between Mike Pence and Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what they were doing together for four years working together and campaigning together and how the relationship ultimately ended basically when Donald Trump was basically sending waves of fucking zombies to try to execute his uh, vice president at the end there. But now Vivek's coming in. Come on, Mike, uh, can't you commit to pardoning the guy? Like I will. I'm so brave. I want to pardon him. Don't you want to pardon him too? Can you commit to that on national TV right now? Like, dude, you don't know anything about the relationship. Like it's, it's a very smarmy thing to try to get in there and like get this person who you have no idea about the dynamics of the relationship to commit to something. Again, not that it's right or wrong. Like, like you have no, it's not a question of whether it's right or wrong that, you know, whether or not somebody would pardon him. It's just that it's popular, right? It's popular with the audience. They want to see everybody commit to pardoning Trump, presumably. So it's not a comment about whether Trump was guilty or not, or whether he actually tried to kill Pence or not. It's just like, oh, the people want to see you commit to pardoning him. So will you do that with me now? (laughs) Very annoying. Very smarmy, I think. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And I I will say throughout the whole thing, I think like Vivek Ramaswamy got a lot of applause lines and then also a lot of boo lines, too. I think, uh, you know, Chris Christie got a lot of boo lines. Um, It it was interesting. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of uh, rightful boos when we get to Ukraine, but I'm sure we'll get there. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's coming up our next one. Yeah. The U.S. has committed nearly $77 billion in aid to the Ukraine war. The administration is now asking Congress for $24 billion more. Regardless of that, the specific specifics of that plan, is there anyone on stage who would not support the increase of more funding to Ukraine? We would, I would not Europe, support it. Europe needs to step up. I mean, I would have Europe step up and do their job. Right. Mr. Ramaswamy. Europe. But you're saying you would not too, Governor DeSantis? I will have Europe to pull their weight. Uh, right would, now they're not doing you that. Would not and I think we need like to do. To and I think our support should be contingent on them doing it. And I would have support in China uh, to be able to take uh, to be able to take China um, and do what we need to do with China. Mr. Ramaswamy, you would not support an increase of funding to Ukraine. I would not. And I think that this is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States of America. We are driving Russia further into China's hands. The Russia-China alliance is the single greatest threat we face. And I find it offensive that we have professional politicians on the stage that will make a pilgrimage to Kiev, to their Pope, Zelensky, without doing the same thing for people in Maui or the south side of Chicago or Kensington. I think that we have to put the interests of Americans first, secure our own border instead of somebody else's. And the reality is, this is also how we project strength by making America strong at home. We heard heard the names. Governor Christie first. All right, look. I did go to Ukraine, and I went to Ukraine because I wanted to see for myself what Vladimir Putin's army was doing to the free Ukrainian people. And let me tell you, I want you all to look around this arena tonight and imagine that every one of these seats was filled. And if every one of them was filled, there would still be 2,500 
more children outside to make over 20,000 who have been abducted, right. stolen, ripped from their mothers and fathers, right. and brought back to Russia to be programmed to fight their own families. They have gouged out people's eyes, cut off their ears, and shot people in the back of the head, men, and then gone into those homes and raped the, the daughters and the wives who were left as widows and orphans. This is, this is the Vladimir Putin, this is the Vladimir Putin who Donald Trump called brilliant and a genius. If we don't stand up against this type of autocratic killing we in the world, to we will be next. You were mentioned, Vice President but, Pence was mentioned, you get 30 seconds. Yeah, well, let me, let me be clear. Anybody that thinks that we can't solve the problems here in the United States and be the leader of the free world has a pretty small view of the greatest nation on earth. That is incorrect. We can do both, Vivek. We've done both. We've been the leader of the free world and the arsenal of democracy for years. The Reagan doctrine years ago made it clear. We said, if you're willing to fight the communists on your soil, we'll give you the means to fight them there so our troops don't have to fight them. Vivek, if we do the giveaway that you want to give to Putin to give him his land, it's not going to be too long for it. He rolls across a NATO border, and frankly, our men and women of our armed forces are going to have to go and fight him. I want to let the Ukrainians fight and drive Putin and the Russians back out into Russia. I want to just briefly address Pence, Vice President Pence. I have a newsflash. The USSR does not exist anymore. It fell back in 1990. The real threat, you talked about the communists, and the real communists that we have to address right now is Putin's aims you, you already spoke. Now I actually have Vladimir Putin has been saying he wants to reestablish the old Soviet sphere of influence. You've made your influence. point, Vice President. Vice President you've been saying, I'm sorry if I insulted him by calling him a communist. He is a dictator and a murderer, and the United States of America needs to stand against authoritarianism. The real threat we face today is communist China and we are driving Russia further into China's arms. The Russia-China military alliance is the single greatest okay. threat we face. Okay. Nobody in either political party is talking about it. And I am, the, I am the only non-neocon on this stage. Is keep us out of war. Mr. Vice President, we can't hear Mr. Vice President. To give Russia everything they've got. Mr. Vice President. Give them a promise that Ukraine will never be in NATO. And then somehow China will not think about taking Taiwan. We achieve peace through strength. Mr. Vice America needs to stand for freedom. Okay, here we go. I think we need when, to establish the ground rules When here, we folks. hear this bell, yes. that, that means, means your time's done. done. <laughs> so, Mr. Vice President, we appreciate your aggressiveness here. 30 seconds is 30 seconds. Mr. Ramaswamy, you were mentioned. You get 30 seconds. So, the reality is that today, today, Ukraine is not States of America. And I think that the same people who took us into the Iraq War, the same people who took us into the Vietnam War, you cannot end it, you cannot start another no-win war. And I do not want to get to the point where we're sending our military resources abroad when we could be better using them here at home to protect our own borders, okay. protect the homeland. All right. That will be my top priority in foreign policy. I, I think we gave you more than, than the 30 homeland. seconds in the rebuttal. So I do want to get to some other people because everybody, uh, we, we respect everybody's time here. So. Governor Haley, um, you did not raise your hand, meaning that you would support 
more funding for the Ukraine war. You have uh, said of Governor DeSantis that um, you didn't appreciate it when he initially called it a territorial dispute. Why? First of all, the American president needs to have moral clarity. They need to know the difference between right and wrong. They need to know the difference between good and evil. Right. When you look at the situation with Russia and Ukraine, here you have a pro-American country that was invaded by a thug. So when you want to talk about what has been given to Ukraine, less than 3.5% of our defense budget has been given to Ukraine. If you look at the percentages per GDP, 11 of the European countries have given more than the U.S. But what's really important is go back to when China and Russia held hands, shook hands before the Olympics and named themselves unlimited partners. A win for Russia is a win for China. We have to know that Ukraine is the first line of defense for us. And the problem that Vivek doesn't understand is he wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to let China to eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't False. do that to friends. What you do False. instead is you have the backs of your friends. Ukraine is a front line of defense. Putin has said if Russia, once Russia takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. That's a world war. We're trying to prevent war. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Pergozin. When I was at the UN, the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer, and you are choosing a murderer over, over a pro-American country. First of all, first of all, first of all, Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 30 seconds. Mr. DeSantis, you know, Nikki, I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, I'm not on but the, the fact of the matter, and you know, you Boeing came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. You've been pushing this lie all week, Nikki. You want Nikki. to go and defund Israel? This, you want to okay, get let me address that. China? I'm glad you, you brought that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. This is the false lies of a professional And you know what friends do? Friends help each other stand on their own two feet. So I will lead Abraham Accords 2.0. I will partner with Israel to make sure Iran never is nuclear armed. But you know what I love about Israel? And I've been there probably in the last 10 years more than most people on this stage. You know what I love about them? I love their border policies. I love their tough on crime policies. I love that they have a national identity and an iron dome to protect their homeland. And so yes, I wanna learn from the friends that we're supporting and what puzzles no, me is, no, I want to learn from those and apply you, those to protect our homeland, that Nikki. Israel that needs is the America. answer. America needs on? Israel. Okay, they Governor DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, you were mentioned yeah. in the territorial dispute. Not only... Uh, no, it's not so a territorial as, as dispute either. President of the United States, your first obligation is to defend our country and its people. And that means... You're sending all this money, but you're not doing what we need to do to secure our own border. We have tens of thousands oh, wow. of people who are being killed because what well, we're not handling both. And so I am going to declare it a national emergency. I'm, I'm not going to send troops to Ukraine, but I am going to send them to our southern border. When these drug pushers are bringing fentanyl across the border, that's going to be the last thing they do. We're going to use force and we're going to leave them stone cold. I think when they finally let Mike Pence talk, his like time bell rang and they let him keep going for like, let's see, 
I think we may need to we may need to do a whole episode on the Ukraine thing at some point or something because like I think this is, uh, frankly, this the the Ukraine issue has rattled my faith in certain aspects of the left wing that I've been uh, pretty committed to for the past you know since since 2001 2003 or whatever. So it's mm-hmm. and I think there's something going on there. There's a little bit of a political realignment in the left and right to some degree. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're going to hear a lot of stupid shit about Ukraine in this Republican debate. So <laughs> Yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's see. Brett Bayer says, thank you, Vice President Pence. Now we are moving on to other issues. The U.S. has committed nearly $77 billion in aid to the Ukraine war. The administration is now asking Congress for $24 billion more. Regardless of the specifics of that plan, is there anyone on stage who would not support the increase of more funding to Ukraine? Vivek says, I would not support it. Uh, Ron DeSantis says, Europe needs to step up. Step up. I mean, I would have Europe step up and do their job. Uh, and I would have Europe pull their weight. Right now, they're not doing that. <laughs> this is fucking stupid. Like, right now, the European Union and NATO is more united more mili- and more militant and donating more military hardware and equipment than they have ever done in probably 40 or maybe like even 70 years, right? To say that Europe isn't doing their part right now, I you, you could make that argument before Ukraine, but after Ukraine, I don't think you can make the argument that you that Europe, you know, that NATO has not has ever been this united and this mm-hmm. militant. Yeah. I mean, my God, we're practically having to hold Poland back, back from invading, <laughs> you know, to fight, you know, like there this it's it's bizarre it's a bizarre argument to make i think so yeah right yeah uh, so i think uh yeah ramaswamy and desantis are wrong here well i i I have to say that i i think that putin's got to be favorite candidate has got to be vivek right he's got to be pulling for him harder than anybody (laughs) (laughs) well yeah yeah i mean he he's probably just about had it. He's probably done with Trump. He probably realizes he's milked as much as he can get out of Trump at this point. So, mm-hmm. although if if Trump did come in, well, probably if almost any of the well, if many of the Republicans got in, except for the the traditional war hawk ones, my God, I'm I'm actually like complimenting the war hawks here. <laughs> it's not something I thought I would be doing circa 2003. Um. If any of these people who are, you know, America first, isolationism, uh, you know, it's not our business over there. If any of these people get in, well, number one, the uh, the military industrial complex will probably overrule them anyways. But <laughs> if they have any power, they will probably make it so that uh, uh, Putin is able to extract some concessions and get out with a with a with a shred of self-respect left. Uh I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. OK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yes, these two seem to be wrong. Um, Ron DeSantis, I think our support should be contingent on them doing it. And I would have support and I would have support in China to be able to take China to, to be able to take China and do what we need to do with China. He's exactly. talking about the European countries. I'm like, is this related at all to NATO, Ukraine? Like, <laughs> Europe is not supporting you with China. Yeah. Like what the hell are you talking about? Like Europe is not strong enough on China supporting America against China, so your support for Ukraine is contingent upon that. How <laughs> does that work? You know, that's really really weird. You know, not to mention like 
from the very beginning, China and Ukraine or China and Russia were together on this. And then mm. China started like walking sideways once they realized it wasn't going to be over in five minutes. Although they've, you know, they've benefited from cheap uh, energy sales from Russia, as has India. But uh, I don't know, you know, it's a bizarre thing to say. So, yeah. Um, Ramaswamy is basically talking about American first. I, I think we have to put the interest of Americans first, secure our border secure our own border instead of somebody else's. Yes, Vivek. Yes. Building a wall on the Mexican border will definitely make America safer than uh, preventing uh, Russia from taking over its neighbors in Europe. Yes, this will make us safer in the long run. <laughs> Ignore mm-hmm. Europe. Stop those goddamn Mexicans, right? That That's the better long-term prescription here. Insipid. So. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's see. I think Chris Christie is right on Ukraine. He gets booze again when he mentions Trump calling Putin a genius, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, he attacks Vivek. He said, we can do both, Vivek. We've done both. We've been the leader of the free world in the arsenal of democracy for years. Reagan administration doctrine years ago made it clear. If you're OK, if you're willing to fight the communist on your soil, we'll give you the means to fight them. To fight him there so our troops don't have to fight him. Vivek, if we do the giveaway that you want to give Putin to give him his land, it's not going to be too long before he rolls across the NATO border. And frankly, our men and women of our armed forces are going to have to go and fight him. I want to let the Ukrainians fight and drive Putin and the Russians back out into Russia so that our troops aren't going to have to make that fight. Um, I don't know. I think he's mostly right here. I don't think that Putin is going to attack a NATO nation. Um, But. Generally, he's correct. I think that the more you allow, the more you do this kind of this accommodation of Putin, as we've seen since 2000, what, 2008, when he took over parts of Georgia Mm -hmm. and in 2014, when he took over Crimea and some other sections, the areas there. Yeah, he keeps going. The more you don't stop him. This is the first time we've stopped him and this is the end of it. So, yeah. 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 And so so anyways, from this response, Vivek takes away from this. He's an idiot. He says, I just want to briefly address Vice President Pence. I have a newsflash. The USSR does not exist anymore. It fell back in 1990. And Mike Pence says, did I say USSR? Oh, wait, sorry. Was this okay? This was not Chris Christie. This was this was Mike Mike Pence. Pence. Sorry. Sorry. Bad. Okay. Um, Did I say USSR? And Vivek says, you talked about the communists and the real communists that we have to address right now. Mike Pence cuts him off. Do you do you do you do not have any idea what Putin's aims are? And Vivek says, you already spoke. Now I actually have something to say. Mike Pence says, Vladimir Putin has been saying he wants to reestablish the old Soviet sphere of influence. Vivek says, you've made your point, Vice President. And Brett Bayer tries to break in Vice President Pence. And Mike Pence says, I'm sorry if I insulted him by calling him a communist. He's a dictator and uh, talking about not Vivek, but uh, Putin says, I'm sorry if I insulted him by calling him a communist. He's a dictator and a murderer, and the United States of America needs to stand against authoritarianism. And yeah, and like, I was like, yeah, that's great. Like, I mean, Vivek tried to latch onto one word that you were talking about, Americans supporting uh, anti-communist forces around the world during the Cold War, and thinking that that literally meant that we're fighting communism today. It doesn't. It's a metaphor for the fact that we're fighting against Russian interests abroad, yeah. which is a, a seeming to be a increasing um, constant, basically. So maybe it wasn't really about communism. Maybe it's just about the expansionist, uh, you know, 
perhaps our expansion is foreign policy and Russia's expansion is foreign policy. So, mm-hmm. so this I, this is another really weird thing because we are driving Russia further into China's arms. Okay, well let's examine that. Like number one, back when the Olympics were going on or whatever, China and Russia were having meetings about the upcoming invasion, right? And China, as far as we know, gave the go ahead. And they said that they were going to be permanent allies forever or something at that time. And frankly, the American military is designed to have enough capability to fight both China and Russia simultaneously, right? Like this is this is one of the goals of the American military, as I understand it, is to be able to fight on two fronts against both China and Russia, our two nearest peer competitors or whatever. So even if China and Russia do team up, like we're already supposed to be prepared for that. All right. Uh, number three, like Russia now is not what Russia was two years ago. And maybe even then it's not even what it was 30 or 40 years ago. So, yeah, it's actually not that. Yeah, if China and Russia want to team up right now and Russia has been utterly like militarily and economically decimated. That's not that big of a problem, actually, <laughs> that that go for it if you want to. I don't think China really necessarily wants to. So I, it's it's just a really weird thing. Um, but anyways, yeah, so that was that was interesting that he's talking about, oh, my God, you know, we're going to drive Russia back into China's arms. Like, number one, they were already kind of there. <laughs> number two, we're prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And number three, Russia isn't what they used to be. So who cares? Anyways, there's a lot of back and forth between Pence and, Pence and Ramaswamy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I actually thought he was really good in that section, which surprised me that I was, like, cheering for Mike Pence or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's extremely rare. It's like I can count on the one hand the number of times that we can even support this guy who's actually from our home state. Yeah, exactly. Bad of a commentary as that is on the state of the world, but yeah. It's like, it's like you don't want to give Ukraine to Russia and you don't want to overturn wrongly an election. So you've met the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this, is the, this is the interesting thing. Like, I mean, again, I think we need to do it, perhaps do another. I mean, I think there could be a, another pod on the state of the left in America today or something, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But but one thing that I'm having to reevaluate and, you know, they say, you know, when you get older, you become more conservative. Now, I don't know that that's happened to me exactly, but I have had to reevaluate, for example, things like the majority report, which I've been a loyal listen to, listener to for at least a decade and so on and so forth. And if I'd known about them back in 2004, 2005 or whatever, when it was Air America or whatever, I'm sure I would have been listening to it back then. Mm hmm. And they've always been very staunchly anti-neocon, anti-global you know, uh, global war on terror, anti-this and anti-that. And, you know, I was always fine with that. I always thought, yeah, yeah, right on. That's that's that sounds right to me. But now, now I'm, I'm questioning that because I see how reflexively anti-war they were with Ukraine, with supporting Ukraine against Russia. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. Now, wait a minute. This is not this is not, um, you know, George W. Bush invading Iraq. If anything, Putin's Bush and Ukraine is Iraq here. Like, what are you talking about? Like, America should back out and walk mind their own business and let Russia have their own sphere of influence. This kind of this this colonial attitude uh, mm-hmm. mindset. 
so and you know i've been seeing things from kyle talinsky i've been seeing things from uh, hasanabi you know hassan piker uh i've seen things from the majority report i've seen a lot of people that i have followed for a long time on the left-wing media sphere that have disappointed me very profoundly with some very low iq takes in my in my view mm-hmm. so yeah it, I, I something's happening there and i'm, I'm reevaluating some of the things like and I, I think also there's kind of a retroactive to some degree like you know uh you know afghanistan was stupid iraq was stupid i'm like iraq was absolutely stupid afghanistan something was always going to happen in afghanistan like i'm sorry after 9 11 you know we could have voted for al gore something was going to have to happen in afghanistan i'm sorry like you know the American people rightly or wrongly demanded blood and, you know, Afghanistan was right there. Uh, you know, I so I think there's this I mean, yes, the the plan wasn't very good. Yes. Afghanistan is not a place that is easy to invade or, you know, maybe it's not right to punish the country for them allowing this kind of an attack to be, you know, launched from their territory. But I don't know. I think that there's this kind of like this. Uh, I mean, when you look at somebody like Lindsey Graham or somebody like a Warhawk like that, and then you look at an absolute pacifist, just somebody whose whose answer is always never war, I I can't tell the difference. Like I'm the, to me, they're both equally wrong. Just about it's it's mm. uh, I've come to that point. I think like, um, yeah, I think what we have done in Ukraine, what America has done there, has been, the, you know, this is as clear cut as case as we have had since World War II, mm-hmm. right? We're on the right side. These people are fucking monsters that we're battling. I mean, we're not battling the direct. Uh, I, to some degree, I regret that Americans are not directly battling so that we can't actually call these people who want to, you know, take the foot off the gas traitors and treasonous people. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the only the technicality that we aren't technically involved prevents them from actually being charged with some things for what they're saying about this stuff. So. Uh, anyways, that's it's sorry, it's a it's a whole other thing, but like that's that's been kind of a political evolution I've been kind of grappling with the past couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't really understand it, and it's kind of the thing that always proved the horseshoe theory of politics, where if you go far enough on the left or the right, they do seem to match up in certain ways. You know, I, I think uh, vaccines, another. <laughs> Where those or the far left and the far right meet around, you know, the other side. You know what I mean? They're not that far apart, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's so. it's been it's been really frustrating, and I've you know we've been seeing a lot of, um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there, and and you know you know how upset I was absolutely distraught when Michael Brooks from the Majority Report died a couple of years ago, uh-huh. and I think his birthday was just a few weeks ago, actually would have been his 40th birthday rest in peace but i really i really 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 i would love to know what his thoughts on all of this would have been and i don't know i don't know i mean he he definitely had a kind of like a a a, you know he had a very complex view of international relations and what was going on in the world and the history of american involvement and especially like south south america central america uh sub-saharan africa and stuff like that so you know, I, I think there's some chance that he would have kind of gone on the anti-American imperialism train. But I think he's also a very pragmatic guy who would know that what Putin was doing was textbook colonialism. Mm-hmm. And I think he would have opposed that, too. So I really like I really want 
Michael Brooks to actually be alive and be commenting on this stuff. And like, for example, Emma Viglund has, I was an early supporter of her when she came over from, uh, from uh, the Young Turks and came to the take, to take on the role at the majority report. I've been very frustrated and disappointed the past couple of years with her performance over there. I, I don't think she is what I thought she would be. So, <laughs> and not just on this issue, but on various things, but anyways, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it is, uh, I, I don't know. I've got some issues with the left right now that I, and like, for example, have you been following at all the Anna Kasparian lurch to the right kind of narrative or whatever? Vaguely, but just go ahead and explain it. Well, I don't think that she's really lurched. I think she's got some, I think she's had some good takes since she's been doing this, whatever you want to call it. I think she's had some bad takes since she did whatever you want to call it. But to say that she is like the same as like uh, Dave Rubin or somebody like this, this transparent grifter, it's bullshit. Like number one, she's not making any money from this. People say she's, Oh, she, she's, she's taking up right wing positions. Well, okay. So from what I understand, she had, um, well, okay, Bob, we uh, we better finish our debate. The audience probably. <laughs> wants to I I do think like there's further discussion that could be had about what's going on in the left wing right now and whether you know Anna Kasparian is a traitor or not to the to the cause or what have you. Uh, uh, that's a whole that's a whole that's a whole bag of worms right now. So, all right. So, anyways, why don't we continue with uh with uh Ukraine and Russia? Sure. Oh, my God, this guy's zero IQ. Like, we are offloading stores of material that was in many cases outdated or due to expire. Like, a lot of this stuff was going to get junked anyway, so it's we might as well throw it into a worthy cause. It's not like we're, oh, we were going to be using our artillery shells on the southern border with Mexico, but now we're not because we're sending them to Ukraine. It's This guy is just like, this guy's zero IQ, so. yeah. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. Nikki Haley also seems to be a little bit based here, except for the fact where she starts talking about uh, Vivek wants to stop funding Israel, which I would have liked to have heard a little bit more about that. Like maybe based with Vivek? I don't know. But actually, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so she seems to, you know, a win for Russia is a win for China, which is correct. Uh, we have to know that uh, re- Ukraine is the first line of defense for us. Um, yeah. Uh, the problem, let's see, she, she says the problem with uh, Vivek, the problem that Vivek doesn't understand is that he wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to let China eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't do that to friends. What you do instead is you have their backs of your friends. Um yeah, it's a that she's preventing a world war. Let's see, trying to prevent war. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Prigozhin. When I was in the UN, the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy's a murderer, and you were choosing a murderer over a pro-America country. Okay, so she's attacking Ramaswamy. Um, later, she says that. She's attacked. He he defends himself on Israel. And she says, uh, no, you want to cut them out of NATO. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is Israel connected to NATO? Are they in NATO? What are you talking about? Cutting Israel out of NATO. This this is bizarre. It seems to me. I don't know. So, again, I don't really know what he says, like he'll be Israel's best friend because he'll make things better for them somehow. 
he'll treat them like a friend, not like a not like a client state or something. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, an issue was brought up with with Ramaswamy regarding Israel, and it was not properly explained. So I don't actually know what the actual full story is there, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Ron DeSantis seems to be America first. Defend our, our as president. First obligation is to defend our country and its people. Um, you're sending all this money, but you're not doing what we need to secure our own border. We have tens of thousands of people we can, you know, are being killed because we're not handling both. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He was like, uh, (laughs) flipping the question to like, wait a minute. Did you, did you, was the question, will I kill Mexican people? Because yes, I will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't the question, but that was what he, that was the question he chose to answer. <laughs> now, to be fair to these guys, I think like there is a large probably contingent in the Republican Party who don't know shit about foreign policy, and the closest <laughs> thing they know is like our border policy. That sounds like foreign <laughs> policy to them. So this, you know, pivoting the question this way may actually be like a quote unquote smart thing to do in this kind of yes. environment. But like, oh, it's it's so so disingenuous, no brain, and yeah, it's uh. It's not good. It's uh, and again, like I said, it, it has kind of pushed me to where I don't see the, um, you know, my traditional enemies in the Republican Party, the war hawks. I'm like, no, you know, these guys kind of spit and I kind of see where they're coming from. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you know, they've been wrong in the past, certainly. But but wait, 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 here, here, Mike Pence out, everybody. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Let's, can't we just give war a chance? Yes. <laughs> like unironically. Like, yeah, exactly. It's a uh, yeah. It's a uh, strange, strange yeah. time. Po- politics and war make strange bedfellows. Somebody probably said somewhere. Mm-hmm. All right. So, did you have anything else on Ukraine? No, I think that was that was most of what I had. So, I think yeah. we got. We're we're going down to uh, education next, I think. China. Oh, China. Excuse me. (laughs) China has the biggest navy in the world, the biggest army in the world. Now they have warships, warships off the coast of Alaska. They are threatening Taiwan. In coming years, China will have 1,500 nuclear warheads, it's believed. The U.S. just arrested two sailors accused of spying for China within our military. So the question is, how would you deter China as a president, Berger? Well, this is the number one issue we're facing. And of course, we haven't been talking about it. And we act like that letting Russia win in the Ukraine uh, is like a gimme as opposed to a gift to China. Russia has become China's gas station. But how would we do it? Uh, the Biden administration is a complete fail. China imports 10 million barrels of oil a day more than any other country in the world. They do not even have all the food they need to feed everybody in that country. So they don't have energy security or food security. But the Biden administration sends Blinken, Yellen uh, over there. they, they're, they're over there. They don't even bring up energy because they're too busy trying to kill the U.S. energy here. And what we need to do is not meetings, not press releases, uh, because something that would send a lot more than a press release is actually harpoon missiles. We need anti-ship missiles on Taiwan. The way that you have a war never start, which is the goal 
the way you have peace through strength is that you actually have strength. You actually have deterrence. And what we have in, in, in what we've got going on in Ukraine is an example of when deterrence fail. What, we, what is an example there of Biden's disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, the fact that he greenlighted Putin moving into Ukraine, and then now they see weakness, and when they see weakness, they make a move. And we have to be strong, and we have to be strong both in Ukraine, and we can solve the southern border. Absolutely, we can do that, because guess what? There's only 19,855 authorized people for the Border Patrol, but they're not all staff because the Biden administration doesn't enforce law enforcement. But Biden administration wanted to put 87,000 people in the IRS as opposed to giving the money in this fort we need to our own border patrol. Okay. Senator Scott on China, that same question. And I speak about China. Let's, let's fire the 87,000 IRS agents and hire or double the number of border patrol agents. I just left Yuma, Arizona about two weeks ago. The most pressing need of the American people from a national security standpoint is our southern border. It has led to the death of 70,000 Americans because of fentanyl, plus six million illegal crossings since President Biden has taken office, and 200 people on our national security watch list have been caught at our border. How many have not been caught? at our southern border. If we just spend $10 billion, we could finish the wall. For $5 billion more, we could have the military-grade technology to surveil our southern border to stop the flow of fentanyl and save 70,000 Americans a year. That should be the priority of this government. And as the next president of the United States, I will make that border wall complete. There are many I more questions on China. Say, I do want to I ask want to say, about... I want to say I couldn't agree more. It's not just the 70,000 from fentanyl. We've lost 200,000 people to overdoses since Biden took office. That's 300 people a day. We're taking mass casualties, and those aren't, that's a statistic, but these are sons and daughters, nieces and nephews that we're losing. We've got North Dakota troops down there flying night helicopter missions from San Diego to the Gulf Coast trying to stop these transnational criminal organizations. They've got better funding on their side than we've got on our side. This is, strikes me as very, very, very wrong. Um, now, regrettably, I think that there has been a lack of deterrence to some degree on the uh, Democratic side for quite a while. I, you know, although I'm trying to remember in 2008, I think it was under Obama that uh, that Putin invaded Georgia, I think. I don't think it was under Bush still at that point. I could be I don't know. I'd have to check the dates. But and then in 2014, when uh, was it? Uh, Syria crossed the red line with the chemical weapons usage, which at the same time, Russia was supporting Bashar al-Assad and, uh, you know, the uh, what, what can we say? The um, the uh, Wagner mercenaries were on the ground there as well, possibly involved in the, in the the chemical stuff that was going on. I always I always said, even at that time, I said, I think it was a mistake for Obama not to enforce the the, the red line there. And I think a lot of the stuff that happened since then with with uh, Russia expansionism is because Obama deferred to the Russians and let them handle the issue there and took them at their word that, you know, yada, 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 that the Assad was not going to use chemical weapons again. I think that was a huge mistake, um, frankly. But I don't think there's anything that that um, Trump has done here that has been uh, deterrence failing, frankly. Mm -hmm. 
Um, dur- yeah, during the Trump presidency, yes, uh, Russia did not invade any other countries during the Trump presidency. Although I'm very curious, I'm, I'm curious in 60 years, 50 or 60 years, what's going to happen with the um, when the historians are studying this period, because it's not a coincidence. I, I, I maintain it's not a coincidence that Trump was involved with Ukraine. With mm. the with my beautiful perfect phone call, <laughs> where I you know, where he's going to hold up the arms shipments to Ukraine, if yeah. they didn't investigate Hunter and Joe Biden, the fact right. that Hunter and Joe Biden were involved, that Hunter Biden was involved over there, um, the fact that the the Trumps were involved, the whatever was going on with Trump and Russia, all of this stuff, I'm sure in the future we're going to find out a lot of stuff that we don't know right now. That, you know, it's not random that these things were happening three or four or five years ago. And then two years ago, a war pops off in this country and we get involved. I I don't think I don't think these are disconnected. I I think there's more to be to be told there in the future. Mm -hmm. But the idea that deterrence failed because we pulled out of Afghanistan is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Uh, Joe Biden's hands would have been tied even more if we were still in Afghanistan. The fact that we got out of Afghanistan right before Ukraine happened meant that we were in a position where we could consider the possibility of sending military equipment to Ukraine. I don't think we would have fully committed to it if we'd still been committed in Afghanistan. The fact that we got out of Afghanistan and perhaps perhaps Russia thought that Americans were sick of war and we didn't have the appetite for it anymore so he could make his move and Americans would be so relieved that we had just gotten out of Afghanistan finally that we wouldn't do anything. Well, he doesn't know much about Americans. I just say that. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he says Americans don't understand Russians. I don't think Russians fully understand Americans because we were not sick. You know, we just cleared our schedule, motherfucker. We're <laughs> not done with war. We just cleared our schedule. You're you're next up. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that, that this was not deterrence failing. <laughs> so that that was a uh, yeah, I think I think that uh, Bergam here is very, very wrong. I think. It's got the wrong analysis. I, I think that us pulling out of Afghanistan was a necessary prerequisite to America becoming involved in any capacity in Ukraine. So I think mm-hmm. I think he's got that wrong there. So let's see. Tim Scott answers. Let's fire the 87,000 IRS agents and hire a double the number of Border Patrol agents. So, again, he doesn't want to talk about China, he, which is the question. He wants to talk about the border with Mexico and firing IRS agents and hiring border guards. Again, these people, they're, you know, they're very focused on Mexico for some reason as far when, when they're supposed to be talking about other geopolitical issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Earlier this month, sh- images showed suspected cartel members crossing into Texas with rifles. Do you consider this an invasion? Would you authorize lethal force along that border? There would be lethal force used by the Border Patrol law enforcement as needed to protect the border. Absolutely. When you look at the military, the military has to be used for intelligence gathering purposes. This is not unusual. Whenever I was in the Bush administration, we went down there and met with President Vicente Fox of Mexico and asked his help in going after the cartels. And he looked at me and said, they're a problem to us as well. And so we joined together and we took down the Ariana Felix brothers leading the Tijuana cartel. And that made a difference. Ramon was shot and killed and Ben Amin was captured. Cooperation makes a difference. We cannot be successful going against the cartel unless we 
bring in Mexico as a partner. We have to use economic pressure to accomplish that. President Obrador has not been helpful, and we have to use economic pressure that this administration is not using. The rule of law has to matter on both sides of it. Okay. This is critical. I've done it. We know what needs to be done. The military has to be limited in its use. When after 9-11, we had the global war on terror, and guess what? We protected the border at the same time. You can do both. Okay, uh, let's go to Governor DeSantis. So as president, would you support sending U.S. Special Forces over the border into Mexico to take out fentanyl labs, to take out drug cartel operations? Would you support that kind of American military use? Yes, and I will do it on day one. Here's the thing. The cartels are killing tens of thousands of our fellow citizens. You want to talk about a country in decline? You have the cartels controlling a lot of part of your southern border. We have to reestablish the rule of law, and we have to defend our people. The president of the United States has got to use all available powers as commander-in-chief to protect our country and to protect the people. So when they're coming across, yes, we're going to use lethal force. Yes, we reserve the right to operate. How many more tens of thousands are we going to let to die? I am sick. I've met angel moms throughout this country. I met a lady in, in Texas named Tracy, and her son took one Percocet that was laced with fentanyl, immediately died. That is happening all across this country because of the poison that they are bringing in. So as president, would I use force? Would I treat them as foreign terrorist organizations? You're darn right I would. You know, Vice President Pence, Vice President Pence, why would you be better at this issue than Governor DeSantis? Governor DeSantis on the campaign trail refers to your administration as not finishing the wall. Right, right. Look. We secured the southern border of the United States of America and reduced illegal immigration and asylum abuse by 90%. When Joe Biden took over, he threw open the southern border yes. of the United States and the wave of humanity, the wave of fentanyl that's been eloquently described here is, is, a, is a wave of human tragedy across this country. But Martha, you began this evening talking about who is best prepared to be the next president of the United States. And I have to tell you, with all humility, I, I was there when we negotiated uh, through the government shutdown and got the funding available to build the wall. I was negotiating on Capitol Hill around the clock. I negotiated the Remain in Mexico policy on behalf of the President of the United States. And AC, you're so right. It's because we used economic pressure to bring the Mexicans to the table, and they allowed us to have people wait in Mexico while they applied for asylum and ended asylum abuse overnight. We got the Mexicans to deploy their National Guard to their southern border and, uh, and to our southern border as never before. And I want to promise you, as President of the United States of America, I will engage Mexico the exact same way, and we will partner with the Mexican military, and we will hunt down and destroy the cartels that are claiming lives in the United States of America. Okay, thank you. A another issue that is related to this is that almost 7 million migrants have crossed this border, our southern border, during the Biden administration. So, Governor Christie, what would you do about the 7 million who are here? How would you handle them? What would you do?
Look, Martha, the first thing we need to do is to stop any more from coming. That's the first thing we need to do. Then the next thing we need to do with the folks that are here is to, again, as we've talked about all night tonight, we have to have law and order in this country. We have to enforce the law. And what that means is to make sure that people who come here illegally are not rewarded for being here illegally. We have so many wonderful people from around the world who are waiting in line following the law to try to come here and pursue the American dream. And those people are waiting and waiting and waiting because we haven't dealt with the problem of the folks who are here we have to have them detained. We have to make sure that they are not rewarded for having broken the law. And one last thing on this fentanyl issue. With China, we can't take our eye off of that ball. Right. Yes, it's important that we secure the border. Very important, as I just said. But China is sending these chemicals to these drug cartels for them to create the fentanyl that is killing hundreds of thousands of our citizens. The Chinese are engaging in an act of war against us, killing our citizens. We better make that priority one in our conversations with China and to try to straighten that relationship out, because if we don't, we're going to lose more and more of our citizens. I, I just want to clarify, would you send those people back? Of course. Wow. Um, so basically, like, they have a picture of two men with guns crossing the southern border. So they're like, is this an invasion? Is this an invade? Is this a declaration of war from Mexico? Would you authorize lethal force along the southern border? Yeah, because you're not going to see men with guns crossing the border every day. So you're, what are you going to be killing? Women and children, workers, right? Mm -hmm. Refugees. Ridiculous. Yeah. And then they go down and they ask Governor DeSantis. Martha McCollum says, let's go to Governor DeSantis. As president, would you, would you support sending U.S. special forces over the border into Mexico to take out fentanyl labs, to take out drug cartel operations? Would you support that kind of American military use? <laughs> Stupid question. But Ramada says, yes, and I will do it on day one. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so basically, it sounds like we're starting an invasion or war with Mexico because – I, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe off the record, there are some cases where American special forces have been, you know, probably used in co-op in collaboration with perhaps certain Mexican forces. But I don't think that the Mexican government is going to allow uh, American, you know, incursions to take place into their into their territory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> let's see, he's talking about. Percocet, let's see, uh, fentanyl, somebody died. As president, I would use force. I would treat him as a foreign terrorist organizations. You're darn right I would. Okay, so the, the cartels are going to be deemed foreign terrorist organizations. Now, of course, they're very bad, but I don't know that this is how we're going to defeat them. So, <laughs> um, Chris Christie wants to send the Dreamers back. He says, uh, yes. Uh, so yeah, again, Chris Christie wants to deport the dreamers basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. Then, the, then it moves on. Then it goes to, I think we're shifting to education. Did you have anything else about Mexico or China? Oh no, no. I, I just started with education here. I, I knew this was going to be just a terrible, I, 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 as soon as they brought the topic up, just like when they brought up Ukraine or climate change, I was just like, I can't. 
here we go. Here it comes. <laughs> I yeah. Not hear this. <laughs> yeah. This is this is this is going to be a it's going to be a mess. <laughs> so. The nation's report card was the weakest ever for American school children, uh, exposing chronic absenteeism, deep declines uh, for reading and math for 15-year-olds and 13-year-olds. Governor DeSantis, you would eliminate, you said, the Department of Education. But as president, would you still have a responsibility to fix this crisis as we see it? Absolutely. The decline in education is one of the major reasons why our country is in decline. We need education in this country, not indoctrination in this country. And in Florida, Florida, we stood up for what was right. First, we had schools open during COVID, and a lot of the problems that we've seen are because these lockdown states lock their kids out of school for a year, year and a half. That was wrong. We stood up. I took a lot of fire for that. I was, uh, I was pilloried by the media, but I stood for our kids. And as president, I'll stand for you and your kids as well. But we have to make sure that what our schools are doing is focusing on solid academics. In Florida, we eliminated critical race theory from our K through 12 schools. We eliminated gender ideology from our K through 12 schools. And we have elevated the importance of American civics in teaching our kids about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. As president, I'm gonna lead an effort to increase civic understanding and knowledge of our constitution. We cannot be graduating students that don't have any foundation in what it means to be an American. Mr. Ramaswamy, Mr. Ramaswamy, Mr. Pett, Mr. Ramaswamy, hold on, Senator Scott. You've said that the Department of Education, the FBI, the ATF, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the IRS, the Department of Commerce, many of these should not exist. That's correct. So to the education question, how would you deal with the crisis? So look, we have a crisis of achievement. Let's shut down the head of the snake, the Department of Education. Take that $80 billion, put it in the hands of parents across this country. This is the civil rights issue of our time. Allow any parent to choose where they send their kids to school. End the teachers unions at the local level to allow public schools to compete. And then revive our national identity where Every high school senior should have to pass the same civics test that, frankly, every immigrant, including my mother, had to pass in order to become a citizen of this country. And the fact of the matter is, look, there's part of education policy that also rests with the family. I didn't grow up in money. But you know the word privilege gets used a lot? Well, you know what? I did have the ultimate privilege of two parents in the house with a focus on educational achievement. And I want every kid to enjoy that. So part of the problem is we also have a federal government that pays single women more not to have a man in the house than to have a man in the house, contributing to an epidemic of fatherlessness. And I think that goes hand in glove with the education crisis as well, because we have to remember education starts with the family and the nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to mankind. has said, Governor Haley has said that biological boys playing in girls' sports is the women's issue of our time. You said that even though you signed a ban on this in North Dakota, that there hadn't been one instance where it was actually needed. Are you saying that you think that too much is made of this issue? No, I'm saying in North Dakota we made a priority of protecting women's sports, and we've done that uh, in our state. 
uh, but I would absolutely do that. But I do think when we start talking about education and we think that we're going to have a federal government one size fits all, we're just completely losing track of the fact that education differs by state. Some some school districts are doing a fantastic job, some less so. But the idea that every school district state and every teacher is somehow indoctrinating people is just false. You know, when I was building a company from scratch, you know, with small town kids, and we went, you know, grew up in a town of 300, but we built a global company in 132 countries with over 100,000 customers. We listened to those customers. We spent time with them. We talked to them. We did that. And as governor, well, education is one of the biggest part of a state budget. So as a governor, I go, I shadow a student. I don't, the night before I find out the students, the student finds out, I'm going to go to every class with them. I don't sit and lecture school districts how to do it. I go and see the experience. And there's a lot of things that have to change. But what needs to change in education is it's innovation. We're doing it the same way we did it 50 years ago with innovation, not regulation. I would get rid of the Department of Education. I would give block grants to schools, but I'd give them on merit based on who's doing the most innovative. I just got done holding the seventh annual Governor's Conference on Innovation Education. You should see what the people are doing when you get you cut loose the red tape, get the burden off their back. They care. Teachers in this country, the vast majority of them care about those kids. They're working in low-paying jobs, and they're fighting fighting for those kids and their families. Governor Whalen, you said that this is the women's issue of our time. First, I'll, I'll tell you, as you know, as a parent, the one thing you want is for your child to have a better life than you did. And we can talk about all of these things, and there's a lot of crazy woke things happening in schools, but we've got to get these kids reading. If a child can't read by third grade, they're four times less likely to graduate high school. So we need to make sure we bring in reading remediation all over this country. We need transparency in the classroom because parents should never have to wonder what's being said or taught to their children in the classroom. Parents need to be deciding which schools their kids go to because they know best. And let's put vocational classes back into the high schools. Let's teach our kids to build things again. When we do that and we allow that innovation, that's when it'll get back. And yes, I will always say I'm going to fight for girls all day long because strong girls become strong women. Strong women become strong leaders. Another, and biological boys don't belong in the locker rooms of any of another, our girls. Another to you, Vice President. So this is a lightning round of questions. 30-second answers, please. Uh, President Biden will be 82 years old on Inauguration Day. Nearly 70% of Americans say that he is too old to serve. Should presidents have to pass a mental and physical test in order to serve Vice President Pence? Well, I, it might be a good idea to have everybody in Washington, D.C. pass a mental and <laughs> But, uh, 30 seconds, no. The American people can make those judgments. But let me say, I, I'm running for president of the United States because we don't need a president who's too old. And we don't need a president who's too young. We need a president who's been there. We need a president who knows how Congress works, how the White House works, how states work. And on this education issue, Martha, I was fighting against No Child Left Behind when Republicans were doubling the Department of Education. I'll also shut down the Federal Department of Education. And when I was governor, we doubled the size of the largest school choice program in America. And we'll give school choice to every family in America so, when I'm uh, in the White House. This is a lightning round, Mr. Ramaswamy. I think you were mentioned there. You're 38. You're the youngest on the stage. You've said, and you just said, you want a civics test or public service for those under 25 to be able to vote. 
vote. So the question is, do you want a mental acuity test for presidents over 75? I believe in the people of this country to tell the difference between somebody who's an automaton and somebody who's actually a thinking agent in the White House, which we don't have in there today. And I will tell you, I want to address Vice President Pence's comment. I think we do need somebody of a different generation to lead this nation forward. Look at the way I've run this campaign. Going to the south side of Chicago, to Kensington, in the middle of Philadelphia, where traditional Republican candidates don't go. We have an opportunity to build a multi-ethnic, working-class majority to deliver a landslide. And I think I'm the only candidate in this race, young or old, black or white, to bring all of those voters along to deliver a Reagan 1980 revolution. Same, We're going to do it in 2024. Same question. Okay. Never vote in a presidential election until okay. 2024. Okay. I will answer that. This is on education, first of all, look at Arkansas. We have to compete with China. I built computer science education. We led the nation in computer science education, going from 1,100 students to 23,000 students taking it. This is how you compete with China. As President of the United States, I will make sure we go from 51% of our schools offering computer science to every school in rural areas and urban areas offering computer science for the benefit of our kids, and we can compete with China in terms of technology. This anti, this know-nothing, anti-big government stuff continues. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, Governor Burgum. Governor Haley has said that biological boys playing in girls' sports is the women's issue of our time. You said that even though you signed a ban on this in North Dakota, that there hadn't been one instance where it was actually needed. Are you saying you think that too much is made of this issue? And then, you know, he, no, I'm saying in North Dakota, we made a priority to protecting women's sports and stuff, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I think, I think I probably have a somewhat controversial take on this, which is that I do think that like, you know, um, it's, I think this is a, I think very, a mountain is being made out of a molehill with this issue. It happens very rarely, but at the same time, I do think like when women are, women in high school are depending in some cases on school sports to get them scholarships to go to university. I do think that in sports where there's a, you know, possible muscular or bone density issue that gives men perhaps an advantage biologically. Hmm. I do think, you know, I, this, this isn't just, Oh, people are just playing a game. It doesn't really matter who really cares. Yada, yada. I, I do think like, you know, there are women who, you know, they do sports in school, they go to college, they do sports there. This is how they get into university. This is how they pay for university. And I'm sorry, like, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I have a different kind of probably take on the trans thing than a lot of people probably do. It's probably, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a hot issue. It's definitely a, it's a weird situation to be in. Well, but. I'm, uh, I'm very sorry, Chai. You have been canceled. So uh, oh, please man. turn He's in your, uh, your identification. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my liberal, my liberal yeah. card been revoked. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I do think there's something there, though. I think that, that that's, uh, you know. And you can say, well, like, OK, well, what about trans people who want to get, you know, college scholarships, too? It's just but we're getting very niche. We're getting very niche to like, you know. Trans people who transition in school who perhaps start taking hormone or puberty blockers, which, you know, out of all the trans people in all the high schools in America, 
what percentage of them are taking hormone blockers and stuff and want to play school sports and this and that and this and that and this and they're going to use the sports to get them into college. It's like when I was in high school, I wanted to play baseball. I signed up for the baseball team, right? Mm -hmm. But I had a part time job after school. And they wanted us to practice sports five days a week. They wanted us to like train and weightlift and everything five days a week. Uh, I had to keep my job to keep making money. I couldn't do school sports. Like, I'm sorry. Sometimes in life you have to make a choice. And sometimes if there's something that's more important than school sports, you have to do that. If transitioning and being trans at that moment in high school is more important to you than doing school sports, like, I'm sorry to be a dick, but maybe you just have to prioritize one over the other. That's not to work. Or do the sports and the other gender. I, I I don't know. Anyways, this is another, this is another, I you know, I don't support people being discriminated against generally. I don't support, you know, people being killed, being beaten up, being, you know, whatever, all this stuff. But like, this is one issue where I think that we may be on the left. I have, I have some questions, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just asking questions. Yeah. Okay, Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this episode, I'm afraid, (laughs) in a couple of areas, perhaps. Um, Yeah, did you have more on education? I I I didn't have a lot. I was amazed about how mainstream the elimination of the Department of Education is amongst even so-called moderate, you know, Republicans at this point, which seemed to be kind of a fringe issue because remember i feel like it was rick perry that wanted to eliminate four of the departments and education was one of them and he couldn't remember the other one but yeah, it's like got some of them but the fact of the matter is we better have a plan in place that americans can get their hands around and that's the reason my flat tax is the only one of all the folks these good folks on the stage it balances the budget in 2020 it does the things to the regulatory climate that has to happen and i will tell you it's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, and the, um, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. <laughs> Com- you need five. Oh, five. Yeah, okay. So five. commerce, education, and uh, the um, uh, uh, EPA. EPA. There you go. No, again. Let's talk. Let's talk deposition. Seriously? Uh, is EPA no. the one you were talking about? Or? No, sir. No, sir. We were talking about the. Um, agencies of government. EPA needs to be rebuilt. But There's you no can't. Doubt about but you that. can't name the third one. The third agency of government. Yeah. I would. I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce, and let's see. I can't. The third one. I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, we we all laughed at that because he was kind of like the like outsider, and then of course he got the. <laughs> the job where he was in charge of the nukes and he didn't realize it was the department that was in charge of the nukes. And he's like, Oh, well, that's interesting. Cause I wanted to eliminate it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. When we sent, when we sent that, that one guy to the United nations who didn't believe in the United nations or whatever, yeah. right. The war right. John Bolton. <laughs> Looking mm. like a Looney Tunes character. <laughs> Yosemite Sam or something. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, at some point, Vivek, I don't remember what he was talking about, but he was like, he brought back the welfare queen trope. Did you know oh, that? yeah. What was he even talking about when he was when he was saying that? I, I didn't I just wrote that down and I didn't remember what like he was in the middle of saying. Do, do you do you have a timestamp at all for that? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I just wrote down on my notes. I don't I think it was in the middle of when they were talking about. uh 
Oh, the education one. Um, but I'm trying to find it here. Let me see if I can see anything about the uh, education one. Yeah, okay. One All right. So um, he's uh, I, I uh, part of the problem is that we have a federal government that pays single women more not to have a man in the house than to have a man in the house, contributing to an epidemic of fatherlessness. And I think that goes hand in hand with the education crisis as well, because we have to remember, uh, you know, nuclear family, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, we're, now, well, hold on. What? We're, we're blaming welfare queens like for the education problems. And uh, yeah, OK, so there's fatherlessness, but it has nothing to do with uh, mass incarceration, drug war. None of that <laughs> has anything to do with it. It's because they're getting money from the government to not have. Yeah, okay. I, I don't follow that. And that has something to do with education policy. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a, it seems like a bad take. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, yeah. They, you can blame welfare queens for just about anything wrong in America, I, I suppose, when you're a conservative. So, <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. And, and what's the alternative? And, and like? here we are again, back to that song that we talked about all the way at the beginning. You know, here we are blaming people for the eating too much food that people provide and it's not healthy enough and it's like okay like just to address that thing it's like people they buy the food with their food stamps they won't have the money for other things so if they want to waste it it's going to take away from whatever else they buy also uh it's a pretty regulated system and you have to like buy certain items in a certain category and i know there's like loopholes and people like buy like you know lobster tail because it's protein but if you buy lobster tail with its protein then you have that much less for everything else and it's not going to be economical for you to use you don't get more because you waste it is my point so it's like yes some people are going to be irresponsible but it's not like the irresponsible ones are costing more than the people that are being responsible it's just they get less for other stuff if they choose to waste it you know what i mean mm-hmm. anyway yeah that just yeah, sticks in my craw. I, I I really don't like when conservatives especially pull that one two switcheroo. So. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, that's uh Yeah, Vivek is wrong about many things. Just <laughs> keeps really wrong. <clears throat> I but yeah. One more thing about the trans thing at the risk of coming back to that, but <clears throat> when they, I did think it was annoying that they were trying to push this as a women's issue mm-hmm. right like the republicans who haven't haven't been pro-feminist or pro-women for like a long you know who knows how long mm-hmm. suddenly we're oh we're anti-trans but this is a pro-women's thing you know this this turf logic or whatever is like i don't know it's it's a weird one it's a it's a mm-hmm. seems like a bad take yeah for sure okay so it seems like we're getting near the end here we're coming up to the lightning round i think oh yes um, I, I, we're trying to do a, a quick round of different topics here. So, w- Senator Scott, faith is on decline in this country. You talked about it a little bit before tonight. So is there a role for a president of the United States in changing that? What would you do to change that? Well, our nation was founded upon the Judeo-Christian values that has made this the greatest nation on God's green earth. I'm a big believer in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. Our responsibility should be to model the behavior we want others to follow. On education, the only way we change education in this nation is to break the backs of the teachers' unions. 
They are standing in the doorhouse of our kids, locking them into failing schools and locking them out of the greatest future they could have. As president, Governor DeSantis, would you support some mandatory military service for all Americans? I think it should be voluntary. I'm somebody that volunteered to serve, inspired by September 11th, and I deployed to Iraq uh, alongside U.S. Navy SEALs in places like Fallujah, Ramadi. And it's uh, something that I think has taught me, you know, when you go in that, that type of environment, anything you have, your personal agenda, you check it at the door. You go there, and it's about focusing on the mission above all else. And guys come together, and they get it done. And that's how I would view being the president of the United States. It's not about me. It's not about all these other side issues. My sole focus will be on your future and reversing this country's decline. Okay, now for something uh, a little out of this world, and this is for you, Governor Christie. Do you believe that the recent spike in UFO encounters? <laughs> I get the UFO question? Is, yeah, you do. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. No, but, but, okay, we've been hearing a lot of, we've been hearing a lot of testimony in Congress, and people are taking this a lot more seriously, and we're hearing that, you know, there are things going on that people aren't aware of. So, if you were president, Governor Christie, would you level with the American people about what the government knows about these possible Look, Martha, and especially coming from a woman from New Jersey, <laughs> I, I think it's horrible that just because I'm from New Jersey, you asked me about unidentified flying objects <laughs> and Martians. Um, we're different, but we're not that different. Um, <laughs> look, um, of course, the job of the president of the United States is to level with the American people about everything. The job of the President of the United States is to stand for truth. The job of the President of the United States is to be a role model for our children and our grandchildren. And so whether it was UFOs or this problem of education, and Tim's right, by the way, and I started this in 2010 by going right after the teachers unions in New Jersey and drove them down to an all-time low popularity rating because they were putting themselves before our kids. That is the biggest threat to our country, not UFOs. Let's see, Mike Pence takes another shot at Vivek a couple times here. He says, let me say, I'm running for president of the United States because we don't need a president who's too old and we don't need a president who's too young. Boom. <laughs> This is a lightning round. Mr. Ramaswamy, I think you were mentioned here. You're 38. You're the youngest on the stage. Hmm. Um, you, you just said that you want a civics test or public service for those under 25 to be able to vote. So the question is, do you want a mental acuity test for the president's over 75? He says, I believe in the people of this country to tell the difference when some between somebody who's an auto, automaton and somebody who's actually a thinking agent in the White House, which we don't have in there today. <laughs> which is kind of funny. He trusts the American people to tell the difference. Well, apparently we can't because we voted for the automaton, <laughs> Joe Biden, right? So, like, uh, the, the logical circle there is, like, it's, it's a, you know, I trust the people to do the thing that they didn't do. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, Pence takes another swipe at... Ramaswamy said, you, you would never vote in a presidential election until 2020. Very interesting. If he's 38, he could have voted in every election probably since 2008, at least, I guess. I think, I think 2004 was my first, but I was just barely under the line there. Yeah. So from 2008, 2012, 
2016. He never voted. And then 2020, he voted for Trump, presumably. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not a not a glowing endorsement of this guy being a politically aware, politically active, long-term committed person. So, Right. Um, let's see. DeSantis makes another mention of serving alongside the Navy SEALs and Fallujah and Ramadi. And they taught him something about the mission, I guess. I don't know. 20 years ago, 70% of American adults said they were extremely proud to be an American. That number has now plummeted to just 39%. In his pitch to get to the Oval Office, President Reagan called America the shining city on a hill, a beacon of hope and optimism. So in your closing statement tonight, please tell American voters why you are the person who can inspire this nation to a better day. These are 45 seconds, and we begin with Governor Burgum. I understand why America's hurting. Biden's inflation is choking us. I grew up in a small town. My dad died when I was freshman in high school. My mom, widow of three, went back to work. Every job I had growing up was one where I took a shower at the end of the day, not at the beginning of the day. Our, our cities are less safe because of the fentanyl pouring into this country. Our economy is being crushed by Biden's energy policies, which are raising the cost of every product you buy, not just the gasoline at the pump. One thing that I'll do as president, I'll secure the border. I'll get this economy sprinting, not crawling like it is right now. <clears throat> and I would say that other thing is for sure, when I'm on a horseback in the Badlands of North Dakota, it looks like the horizon is just limitless. And when you can almost see beyond that horizon, you can see that this great country, our future is unlimited. But we've got to focus on innovation, not regulation. We've got to cut the red tape. We've got to drive ourselves forward. The way we win the Cold War with China is by growing our economy and through innovation. And as president, I will bring out the best of America. I will improve every American life. Governor well, we Hutchinson. hope you're back on your horse soon, Governor. <laughs> Governor Hutchinson. Our nation is in trouble. And it's in trouble because of failed leadership. And the solution is not four more years of Joseph Biden. The solution is not four more years of Donald Trump. The solution is new leadership that can bring bold ideas to America and to bring out the best of America. A president's number one responsibility is to bring out the best of our people. That's what Ronald Reagan did. And he did it with optimism and hope for our country, with a consistent conservatism. That's exactly what I bring. As president, I'll bring out the best of America in terms of individual responsibility, building our economy, in terms of securing our border, enforcing the rule of law. I'll bring out the best of America in terms of our national character, our faith, and our hope for the future. Join in this fight, asa2024.com. Thank you. Senator Scott. Thank you. I was a disillusioned young man growing up in a single-parent household mired in poverty. I wondered if the American dream was real for a kid like me. I can stand before you today and say the dream is alive, it is well, and it is healthy. I had the good fortune of a mom who worked 16-hour days making sure we have food on our tables. She taught me that if you're able-bodied in America, you work. If you take out a loan, you pay it back. If you commit a violent crime, you go to jail. And if God made you a man, you play sports against men. 
I'm Tim Scott. I'm asking you for your vote, and if you're in Iowa, I'm asking you to caucus for me. You can go to votetimscott.com for more information or to make a contribution. Governor Christie. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Martha. Look, everybody on this stage wants to be the next president of the United States. And the only way that's going to happen is if we beat Joe Biden. I'm the only one on this stage who's ever beaten a Democratic incumbent in an election. I did it in a deep blue state, being outspent three to one. Beating a Democratic incumbent is not easy. The last Democratic incumbent president who was defeated was Jimmy Carter. And he was defeated by a conservative governor from a blue state who knew how to get results, who stood for the truth, who cared about accountability, and stood strong and hard against waste. Those are the very things that I did in my eight years as governor of New Jersey, and it's exactly what I'll do as president of the United States. Believe me, the Democrats want some other nominee who's never beaten the Democratic incumbent. I'm the one who can win this race, and if you give me the chance, I will restore our country by winning it. Thank you. Governor Haley. Several weeks ago, I dropped my husband, Michael, a combat veteran from Afghanistan, off at 4 a.m. for another year-long deployment. I watched him and 230 soldiers pick up their two duffel bags of belongings to go to a country they had never been, all in the name of protecting America. If they are willing to protect us from there, we should be willing to fight for America here. I will beat Joe Biden, and he knows that. I will strengthen our economy, and we'll bring this inflation down. We will put transparency in the classroom. We will secure our borders. We will have the backs of our law enforcement, and we will make sure we have a strong national security. And once again, we will make sure we have an America that is strong and proud. We have a country to save. Join us. Go to NikkiHaley.com, and let's get it done. Vice President Pence. Thank you, Brad and Martha, for this evening. It's an honor to be here. Joe Biden has weakened America at home and abroad. The disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, their war on energy, runaway spending that launched the worst inflation in 40 years, a crisis at our southern border, an assault on our values and liberties, and the American people have had enough. But I know we can bring it back. But different times call for different leadership. The Republican Party owes the American people the choice. Proven leadership at the national level that knows how to move a conservative agenda forward. We proved in the Trump-Pence years you can turn this country around faster than you can imagine. And I have faith we will again. Because I have faith in the American people. The good, decent, hard-working, faith-filled, idealistic people of this country. And I have faith that God is not done with America yet. And if we will renew our faith in one another and renew our faith in him who has ever guided this nation since we arrived on these wilderness shores, I know the best days for the greatest nation on earth are yet to come. Thank you. Mr. Ramaswamy. I was born in 1985, and I grew up into a generation where we were taught to celebrate our diversity and our differences so much that we forgot all of the ways that we are really just the same as Americans, bound by a common set of ideals that set this nation into motion in 1776. And this is our moment to revive those common ideals. God is real. There are two genders. 
fossil fuels are a requirement for human prosperity. Reverse racism is racism. An open border is not a border. Parents determine the education of their children. The nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to man. Capitalism lifts us up from poverty. There are three branches of government, not four. And the U.S. Constitution, it is the strongest guarantor of freedom in human history. That is what won us the American Revolution. That is what will win us the revolution of 2024. Thanks for letting me introduce myself tonight. Thank you. Governor DeSantis. Governor? This is our time for choosing. We will send Joe Biden back to his basement and we will reverse the decline of this country. I'm a blue collar kid. I work minimum wage jobs to be able to make ends meet. I understand the importance of the American dream and I know how that slipped away from so many millions of Americans will restore it. I'm a veteran who served in Iraq. I know what it means to put service above self. I'm also a dad and a husband to six, five and three year old. I understand the importance of protecting parents' rights and the well-being of our children. In Florida, we showed it could be done. I made promises and I delivered on all of those promises. 2024 is make or break. We're not getting a mulligan, no excuses. I will get the job done. And as your president, I will not let you down. God bless you all. Doug Burgum says, uh, I understand why America's hurting. Biden's inflation is choking us. I grew up in a small town. My dad died when I was a freshman in high school. My mom, widow of three, went back to work. Wait, your mom was a widow of three? I think she might be a serial killer, bro. (laughs) Hopefully she's a widow of one and a mother of three. (laughs) Not a widow of three. (laughs) If your mom's killed three of her husbands, you need to start investigating, I think so. So that was, I don't know, just kind of a funny little moment, I guess. Not not too serious. Americans bound by a common set of ideals that set this nation into motion in 1776. And this is our moment to revive those common ideals. God is real. Mm. Once again, which God or gods, Vivek, which God or gods is real or are real? Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're talking about common ideals. You're talking about God, dude. You're not even a Christian, dude. You're talking. You're talking to a Christian base of the conservative Republican Party, knowing that you're a you're a you're a Hindu. Like, mm. and I don't have a problem with you being a Hindu, but like, that's that's very disingenuous, I think. So, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. No, I uh, I noticed that too. But um, going back to Chris Christie's answer in the lightning mm. round, because they asked him about UFOs and he took umbrage. Yeah. I kind of agree with them. I think that I think the UFO thing was a weird distraction recently. I, I don't think this is a serious issue. Yeah, I would be upset if that was my lightning round question, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The yeah, whatever they were doing in the I, I don't know. It's there was some there was a brief there was like a, you know, a news cycle and a half or whatever about that. And then it just kind of died out like, you know, somebody came to the Congress and said he knew people or who had read documents that said that there were aliens or something. And, OK, whatever happened with that? Nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. He got, I mean, I think I, I was surprised he didn't just say something like, look, I tell you what, OK, if I go in there. And the first day of my presidency, I find out the aliens are real. I will tell you that <laughs> you can make that commitment. I think you could just say that and then like drop say, OK, now moving on to more important issues. 
you know. <laughs> I mean, no I one's know. really going to question you that hard on it. It's like, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah, I'll tell the truth about that. Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird question, definitely. It's not, I don't think it's a very serious question or issue. No. So, yeah. Anyways, I think I think that was all of my notes mostly for what had what had gone on in this in this uh, in this debate. What did you have anything else? No, that was that was most of what I had. I think I think we killed it. That was that was awesome. I'm glad we did that because, you know, I think these people's views deserve to be aired as widely as possible. And people need to understand that none of these people should ever be president (laughs) ever. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. I mean, I think like, I mean, um, you know, people like Christie and Asa Hutchinson, I think, have both been pretty critical and pretty um, strong against Trump, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and, but no, like, the, like and, I said, and, I'm glad I'm not I'm I don't want them to be president. But for <laughs> what they're doing in the race right now, I, I'm glad they're there. You know what I mean? If, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't actually support their candidacy, but it's like somebody's got to be up there challenging Vivek. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I think Vivek is going to do, I think he is the, he's the token goofy minority candidate who's going to shoot up briefly and then drop like a rock. I'm trying to, going back to like a, who was Herman Cain, was it in 2012? He had a moment where he was in the head of the pack and then he dropped out. And of course, eventually being a Republican got him killed with the COVID or whatever. Thing. And then, uh, you know, but then, then he had the, was still Joe Bobby Jindak. Uh, vaccine stuff after he died and it's like wow it's like not even <laughs> in death can you escape the trumpism <laughs> yeah it is uh it's not i i don't foresee good things for vivek ramaswamy he's having a moment he's he's definitely having a little moment here a lot of reaction a lot of a lot of a lightning rod behavior and stuff but i don't think he he may he may take over from ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, we'll see what happens if we ever see him on a stage with with uh, Big Daddy of the Republican Party, Donald Trump. <laughs> I don't yeah, think right. he'll. Uh, what can he say then? He can't. He can't pivot towards supporting Trump more than Trump, <laughs> and, which is what he's tried to do on the stage here tonight. So yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's gonna make one. He's gonna make one uh, uh, nickname out of his last name or something, and it's <laughs> gonna be over. You know what I mean? Like he's gonna be. Yeah. Swarmer Swarmy or something like you know what I mean he's gonna make up something I don't even know yeah I have no idea where Trump would even go with that one but yeah it's Swarmy Swami I don't know like because I'm trying to I'm trying to riff here about what he where he would go with it with his with his nickname he's already got Ron Sanctimonious but that's just because he's Ada Hutchinson yeah Ada I still want to know what that's about (laughs) I I think like I said I think Ada is is a woman's name Asa, I've never heard anybody called that before, so I don't. Asa is a strange name, yeah, for sure. Yeah, whether it's a man's or a woman's name, I wouldn't know. But uh, I'm thinking like, I mean, like, I'm sure it was spelled differently, but like uh, Ada Tuturo, right? Sopranos Mm. actor, right? Ada Tuturo, that was a woman's name, but that might have been like A I D A or A Y D A. I I don't remember actually, but like, Mm -hmm. maybe it's something like that. But I don't know. uh, It's his middle name. He's William Asa Hutchinson the second. Okay. So I don't know where the Asa comes from, but why don't they just go by Will or Bill or Billy, as uh, as yeah. all I want to do lyrics would say. Oh yeah, right. That's a deep cut. Tune. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So so it'll be interesting to see what 
would happen with Ramaswamy if he ever actually came up against Trump directly, because I don't think it would go as well as I think he had. A, he was a, he was a happy warrior here tonight. He had a really good time riling everybody up. People were cheering him. People were booing him. He was living la vida loca. But I think all that ends really quickly if he's getting, you know, full broadsides coming from Donald Trump himself. So, yeah, no kidding. But uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I didn't have anything else on that debate. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Trump makes it to any future ones or if he's just going to remain back in the cut. So, yeah, I think he's going to be very busy with his court stuff now. (laughs) I did everything right and they indicted me. Yeah, we gotta get you got to you got to drop that in there. That that is the sound. That is the sound of 2023 from Donald Trump, I think. So, yeah, such a great quote. I did everything right and they indicted me. Uh, second, <laughs> well, we uh, we got a date for the second one. September uh, September 27th is that oh. going to It's going to be at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. So, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah, well, looking forward to that. That'll be interesting to see if they, yeah, if if Trump gets in on it or if they, if anybody else qualifies, perhaps if anybody who was there tonight has dropped out or has not qualified for the next debate, see who's there. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Conclusions about this debate, I, I would, I would say, like I said at the beginning, I think it doesn't really matter too much what the individual said, but I think it's interesting in some cases what the questions were and what the issues that the Republican Party of 2023 is negotiating, especially things like abortion and climate change, where I feel like they were much more, uh, even the question framing was a little bit more uh, uh, ambiguous, rather where in the past it would have been much more strident, especially from Fox News, I think. So Mm -hmm. I I think that's kind of the value, perhaps, of this debate. Yeah, Um, I'd say probably by next time, I'd be surprised if Burgum makes it back. Um, Yeah, I could live without him. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, I think Christie's got enough nascent support. He'll probably be back again. Uh, I think DeSantis really didn't do much in this debate, and I really don't think it helped him at all. He was very kind of flaccid, and I didn't really feel like he brought the thunder or whatever at any point. I'm trying to remember, and I don't don't remember him getting as much applause or booze or anything, as much reaction as even like – Mike Pence or Chris Christie or Vivek Rabaswamy. I, yeah. I, I just, he was kind of like more of a non-entity up there. I think yeah. that's true. Fell, fell very flat, even though he pandered very hard. Like he really tried to get <laughs> applause lines. You, you were I did of... everything right and they didn't react to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nikki Haley has probably got enough support to get to the next one, but I don't, yeah, she's not going anywhere. She's uh, doing the girl boss thing. She's doing yeah. the, you know. If you want something done, said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. Oh, right. Yeah, that kind of that, these kind of feminist bromides are going to take you far in the Republican primary. Yeah, exactly. Like her her calls to uh, eliminate Medicaid and Social Security and kill the poor, or, you know, girl power. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Not, not going far. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think I'd be surprised if he makes it back to. <clears throat> I think yeah. Pence, Pence probably has enough nascent support like Christie to get through just to be that, you know, anti-Trump voice, I guess. But oh, like yeah. you said, yeah, Vivek's got probably a little bit of a boost from this. Tim oh, Scott, yeah. I I am very surprised he even made it this far. I don't I don't know who his base of support is exactly, but yeah. 
yeah, black Republican from South Carolina. Yeah, um, all who, yeah. <laughs> there are dozens of us. Dozens. Who doesn't listen to questions very good sometimes? No. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see who will be back, and I think you're probably right on several of those people. I think Ramaswamy is, you know, he's he's going to be in it for a little while, perhaps as long as his money lasts and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm curious to see what happens with uh, DeSantis after this. I I don't think anything good happens to his campaign from this performance so no, you know, does his fall hurt. continue does he you know what are his people you know what are his funders going to tell him to do which he's going to have to do when they tell him yeah <laughs> so and and will the republicans ever actually coalesce around one person to directly go against donald trump and hopefully beat him out of the primary which i don't think that they have the um i don't think they have the uh the mental fortitude or the cognizance to actually do which is what they should be doing because they're all battling for second place right now basically and mm -hmm. donald trump <clears throat> the stupid thing about this is is everybody talks about a coming civil war and everything the republicans are actually the republican voters and the republicans and the republican media machine and politicians are all in a great position to prevent a civil war which they don't want to do actually what they need to do to prevent a civil war is make sure that donald trump is not the candidate for their party because mm -hmm. they know that donald trump is going in with like 90 some felony accusations or whatever going into four different lawsuits against him he's got to be guilty of something yeah and if and when if he everybody says oh you can't send him to prison he you know he has too many top secret information he could like share it somebody could threaten him to shank him in the shower or something and he has to tell a about the iran war plans or something in prison here's a solution solitary confinement <laughs> put him in solitary he doesn't have to be in with gen pop that's fine <laughs> you know, but crime is still a crime and, you know, nobody should be above the law, but everybody wants them to be above the law. Mm. <clears throat> but the thing is, by the Republican voters and primary people and everybody supporting Donald Trump, when they know there is a very good non-zero possibility that he is going to be uh, legally compromised out of his job. And then they're going to what are they going to do? Oh, we voted for him, but he didn't get to be president because somebody said he's a criminal. <laughs> We're going to riot. We're going to go to Washington, D.C. We're going to have, you know, January 6th part two. They're setting themselves up as the victims for this this huge, horrible thing that doesn't have to happen. Yeah. What the Republican Party should be doing right now is making sure that one candidate stands against Trump and that one candidate is the best one to take him on. And that they don't put him forward as the as the candidate. And then whether they win or lose to Joe to, to Joe Biden at that point. Going forward, they can go back to being the Republican Party of new, fresh, you know, whatever, next time, 2020, whatever, whatever 2026 or 2028, whatever the next election is. But as long as they allow Trumpism to mon monopolize the Republican Party, <clears throat> they're basically like it's like they don't even want to win. They're, they're running somebody who's got so many legal troubles that it's very unlikely that he's going to get into the White House. Mm -hmm. And then they're preparing themselves for a civil war if and when that happens. It's all very intentional. It's all very predictable. And there's things that they could be doing to prevent it, but they're not doing it. So, yeah, exactly. To that degree, every one of those candidates on that stage who knows that they should drop out for the greater good, you know, fuck them all. So, yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah. My ideal would be if somebody else got the nomination and then Trump ran as a third party candidate. <laughs> that would be my dream. But. Yeah, Jeff's kiss. That would be that's that's the unspoken threat of the whole thing is that Donald Trump could absolutely 
but but I think that'd be actually a good thing for the Republican Party because at that point, <clears throat> the the Republican voters may coalesce and say, hey, okay, you know what, this guy's bad. He doesn't actually support us. He doesn't support our ideals. He's a selfish, you know, narcissistic person who just wanted it for himself the whole time, and he screwed us out of our own uh, presidential election. We could have won. That could be the best thing that could happen because that could make a clean break with the guy. So, yeah. Well, if they wanted to do that, they could have convicted him of, you know, or they could have disqualified him from further office at the impeachment trial. Could have allowed the impeachment to go forward. Yeah. There's a, yeah. There were a million, a million off ramps on the road to hell for the Republican Party that they didn't take. So. Right. So. Not holding my breath for that, but anyway. Well, uh, yeah, I've got quite an editing job ahead of me, but uh, this, this should be a, this should be a good good episode. So yeah, I don't envy you that, Bob. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's uh, well, yeah, good good talk. Glad we got to do it again here. It's a little bit of work, and I hope we help some people out there. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think this will be valuable, and I do think having the transcript did help because i think then it kind of cuts down on the need to like transcribe each quote you know just yeah absolutely like i I think the amount of writing i was doing several years ago trying to like capture exactly what they said and then no you were going back and like reorient myself and reread my own hand notes and stuff that i was taking it's it was a nightmare so yeah this was much better for sure well, thanks, thanks for doing it, Cha. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll promote it on uh, the social media channels, uh, post included, of course. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I may I may throw it up over on I may I may throw it up over on uh, uh, Stit. No, no. What is it called? Threads. Threads. Okay. I know yeah. you're you're preemptively boycotting Threads, but I'm up yes. over there, so maybe I'll throw it over oh. there too. Yeah, do it for sure. But. Uh, All right. Well, yeah, well, good chat here, Bob, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Good. Have a good uh, Sunday there in Korea. So. Yep. Have a good Saturday night in America. (laughs) I got one minute left until midnight, so. (laughs) Anyway. Talk to you soon. Yep. Bye-bye.